Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, January 29, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. I didn't know the South Carolina primary was on a Saturday. I didn't know that. I mean, I thought I, I thought it was a Tuesday. I yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why. I just said it's Tuesday, the, the 20th or whatever date that would be. But that would be the, a normal assumption. Yeah, it's the 24th yeah. on a Saturday. Uh, the early voting numbers are substantially higher than normal. I talked to someone Friday afternoon about some of the um some of the uh what what do we call it? The um the un uh, the the un chaperone's not the right word. What word am I looking for? The um unsupervised? Yeah, unsupervised mail in ballots, unsupervised absentee ballots. Those aren't unsupervised. I mean the ones that go into the ballot box or go to the uh, voter registration station, wherever it is you pat cast your your ballots, those aren't unsupervised. It was the um, the nefarious activity of mailing ballots out to people and then mailing you back in a ballot that they may or may not have, have filled out. Um, a lot of sports over the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. I got, I got uh, just a word of sympathy from my Clemson brethren. When you're playing a blue blood at home, you better beat them bad. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, you know, when you, Clemson deals with more blue bloods in basketball than the Gamecocks, but when you're playing a blue blood in their building, you better beat them by 17. <laughs> I'm using 17 <laughs> as an example of the Gamecocks smoke Kentucky, a blue blood, but had that game been in Rupp Arena, it would have been a very different um, sort of animal. Foul, no foul, call, no call. I mean, that's, 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 who knows? Who knows what motivates officials to blow the whistle at the end of a game here and not blow the whistle at the end of the game there. But if you think you're getting a call at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham, North Carolina, in a very close game, and you're Clemson, with all due respect, in basketball, ain't happening. Ain't happening. If you're Gamecock and you go to Rupp Arena and it's close and there's an iffy call, you ain't getting that iffy call. I mean, that's just the way it is. I'm sorry. It shouldn't be that way. I kind of needed Clemson to win. As a Gamecock, I mean, that would be, you know, the better Clemson does. That's one of the one of the three losses South Carolina has is the Clemson. Mm-hmm. So the better they do, the better loss that is, and the more likely is you get a, a chance to play in the NCAA tournaments and get a better a better seat. Kind of a weird dynamic there, but I think Gamecock fans, in the weirdest way imaginable, should be pulling for Clemson to have a really good year. Because it kind of beefs up that loss that they've got. Alabama would be um, another team that the Gamecocks probably need to see do well um, down the road. But the moral of that story is, if you're playing a blue blood in their building, you better not leave any doubt. You just better not leave any doubt. All the iffy calls, and I mean all the iffy calls, go the blue blood's way when they're in um, their building. A little bit different on the road. But in their place or at their place, ain't getting that call. So when they blew the whistle and said foul on them or such and such in the orange, I said, of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, he didn't hit him, but he came close to him. <laughs> I mean, he came real close to him. He thought about it, Reb. Oh. I mean, he thought about trying to foul the guy. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, hard for me to be I'm... sympathetic for a Tiger, but I feel your pain because yeah. um, that's just the way it is in college, in college basketball. Probably that way to some degree in college football, but there's not as many fouls. You know what I mean? And and basketball's intimate. I mean, it's a smaller court, smaller venue. 
you're on top of the action. There's kind of a personal intimacy you have with basketball that you don't have um, with football. I've said it, and I'll say it again. There are people in Gamecock Nation today that believe the better strategy, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I never got your opinion to this, Rev. Hmm. When you start thinking about relevancy in college athletics, remember we had this debate last week about women's basketball or men's baseball? You know, what's the more important sport? But the LSU Gamecock women's basketball, you and Cocky Mike were the only two watching it. <laughs> uh, there was about 1.56 million people watching that game. It outranked the Pacers, I mean, the Celtics Nets. Uh, but that was the oh, NBA wow. game that night. They had about 1.34 million. And the uh, the Lady Ti- the Lady Gamecocks and the Lady Tigers, LSU Tigers, home in the real Death Valley, uh, they had 1.56 million viewers. So more people are watching women play basketball on a, what was it, a Wednesday night, Thursday night? Thursday mm-hmm. night than watching um, the Celtics and and the Nets. But there are people in Gamecock Nation strategizing about the future. And you're going like, okay, when Oklahoma and Texas come in the league, I mean, the, 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 the manna will be from heaven. I mean, there'll be an abundance of funds. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Somewhere, I mean, the SEC television revenue goes from somewhere around 55 to 60 million to 75 to 80 million because two of the biggest brands in all the college athletics are coming into the conference, Texas and, and Oklahoma. But there are Gamecock faithful who say, why beat your head against that wall? Over the wall of Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Ole Miss, all of a sudden you add Oklahoma and Texas. Why do that? Why not try to be better than Kentucky in basketball or be as good as Kentucky in basketball? Um, Yeah, I mean, Auburn and Alabama are okay. Ole Miss is pretty good from time to time. Florida's won a couple of national champions, but nobody in the SEC is a blue blood in basketball except Kentucky. Over the LSU's a blue blood in football. Alabama's a blue blood in football. Georgia's a recent addition to the blue bloods of college football. Texas is a blue blood. Oklahoma is a blue blood. Guess what, Gamecocks? You ain't. So, so, so why try to out, you know, outdo six blue bloods in football when there's this only blue blood, sole blue blood over here in basketball? It kind of makes sense. But it really does. Now, we're football country. We're football-centric. South Carolina is far more affectionate toward football than they are basketball. But if you're strategizing and you're thinking about the two major sports, it would be a lot easier to gain relevance in college basketball than it would in um, in college football. But the basketball doesn't have tailgating. Right. And football does. And I think down south, <laughs> Josh, tailgating is a big part of the uh, of the equation. I watched both NFL games yesterday. I mean, actually drove in from the beach. We got up at 345, left the beach at 4 to get here at 520-ish. Um, caught all the red lights. All, you know, didn't speed. <laughs> I mean, I caught all the green lights in Georgetown and Johnsonville and Hemingway. I mean, they, everything just kind of worked my way. Um, didn't speed a bit. Uh, anyway. Wow. Watched both games last night. Um, you got a Super Bowl in two weeks. Something just tells me. And... But if, if I believe that quarterbacks are that essential to winning championships, in one hand, I've got Patrick Mahomes. In the other, I've got Brock Purdy. Mm. <laughs> Who's your money on, Rev? You, you see where I'm headed? <laughs> right. 
I mean, I get, well, the cast of characters. And, you know, <laughs> I, I went as far yesterday to say to myself, where did Brock Purdy even play college football? And it was Iowa State. Yeah, Look Iowa up. State. Mr. Ir- Mr. Mr. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Yeah, he was yeah. the last player. Um, I, wa- I just wanted to know a little bit about the story, but to your point. I'll give you a nugget of info. I mean, this would have been a good trivia question. I don't know the answer to this, but um, yesterday's NFC Championship game, Josh, I know you're uh, keenly interested in this. Yesterday's <laughs> NFC Championship game featured a quarterback for the Lions who was the first pick in the NFL draft and a quarterback for the 49ers who was the last pick in the NFL draft. I don't know that that's ever happened in an NFL or, yeah, playoff game. I mean, that may have happened a time or two the reg- during the regular season, but you had Jared Goff, I think the number one pick of the entire draft in 2016-ish, might have been 17, somewhere around there, and you've got Brock Purdy, who was Mr. Irrelevant, and that means the last player picked on the last day of the NFL draft. And Purdy, I, I, there's no way I can bet against Patrick Mahomes. And um, when when he's and I get it, Purdy's got a cast of uh, he's got a great defense. They got a lot of skill people. You got um, McCaffrey and Debo, Debo and you know a couple of other players. I just it's hard for me to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Um, I did read this, and this this may play into that. If you want to get a call, you better be careful. If if you're Clemson and Cameron. You ain't getting a call at the end of the game. You're just not. Clemson finds that out the hard way. It's almost like they're not surprised. It's right. almost like if the Duke player, I mean, if a, if, a, if a guy in an orange shirt gets near a guy with a blue shirt, white shirt, when they're at home, they're, they're going to call a foul. I mean, that's just the, and, and Clemson fans kind of like, well, of course they call a foul. I mean, sure they did. They always do. And Chapel Hill would be no different. Rupp would be no different. But um, last night during the Kansas City, or yesterday afternoon during the Kansas City Baltimore Ravens game, I mean, I hate to say this because I am a sports enthusiast. I accept that money is the mother's milk. I mean, I get that. The NFL has agreed that they're kind of in the entertainment business. I mean, football would be the, the kind of the secondary part of that. I don't know if you saw this Wall Street Journal article or not, but there's estimates that Taylor Swift has added about 330 to $50 million in branding and imaging for female fans who don't normally watch NFL football. <laughs> who is this guy that Taylor Swift's going out with? Got to see him. And they're watching right. the game. And the NFL believes, the Wall Street Journal did an analysis. They believe the NFL has gained an extra 330 to $350 million in Just in, like, additional branding, interest. Yeah, branding revenue. Bringing I think new people they, to, Exactly. Uh, you know, the person who says, I don't ever watch that voice. What's this stuff with Taylor Swift yeah. going to the football games and whatnot? And now, if you believe the the, the next step, the, well, me... the, the conspiracy theory, <laughs> that this is all a psyop. You know, this is all about bringing all these people in, and then she's going to endorse Joe Biden, right, because she's been known to do that sort of thing before, and this is all part of that plan. She will endorse Biden at halftime of the Super Bowl wearing a Pfizer baseball cap. <laughs> right. She does a concert like the day before in Tokyo. And some some guys doing like travel plans and time zone changes and whatnot, and says, um, well, basically she better have her own jet, and I'm sure she does, oh, yeah. or a share of a jet. She doesn't have her own jet. <laughs> I read yesterday, and I think it was Greta Van Susteren who tweeted that she has been getting treatment, like particularly yesterday when she flew in for the game into a into Baltimore, she had a police motorcycle escort to the stadium, getting better treatment than heads of state. Mm. As far as that goes. Well, I mean, she's probably more popular than most heads <laughs> of states. 
Um, but anyway, $350 million means a lot to the NFL. Oh, yeah. And yesterday when you watch a Chiefs player grab the jersey of a Ravens player and the official looks at the screen at Cameron Indoor Stadium to see if that was a foul or not, <laughs> it just makes your head go. So I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, but the game's not rigged. I'm not saying that. But $330 million is $330 million is $330 million. And if the Chiefs can play in the Super Bowl – and the NFL can hype that for two. What is that worth? I mean, if it's $350 million thus far, what is two weeks worth of the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl? Where's Taylor Swift? I mean, can you imagine the um, the marketing that'll be around her Tokyo concert and then making it? it it'll be like Santa Claus. I mean, it, it'll be like it'll be like, be like following the sleigh, you know, to know where, where Santa is with all these gifts and whatnot. You got NORAD. You got all these weather companies and channels and whatnot. Can Taylor Swift get from Tokyo to Las Vegas to be there and endorse Joe Biden halftime <laughs> wearing a Pfizer baseball cap? Yeah, we laugh. Going to be the better question is, will Biden be awake? And if he's awake, will he have a clue what's going on? Because right. I mean, Kelsey's been the big spokesperson for the vaccine. Right. I mean, he does the ads for Pfizer. And he's, um, I mean, once again, I have no idea what their affections are one another but um kelsey can play now and part of me wants to believe it's real it's organic i mean you see her get excited what part for of you play. wants to believe that Jeff? i just you know the human side okay you know i mean and here's the thing i was thinking about her and i'm not i don't have much human in me i'm more cynic than human well yeah <laughs> me too and that's why i i have to try i have to try hard uh, to be human and, and have this feeling but but it's getting harder and harder for me to be human but when i saw some of the video and pictures of of Taylor Swift and Kelsey on the field yesterday, you know, excited, hugging, kissing, all that kind of stuff. Some some PDA there, right? Yeah. Um, I, I thought, you know, if if this is real, if it's organic, good for her, good for him. You know, she's in such a bubble because she's one of the most well-known faces in the world, right? She's always been on stage. She's always been an entertainer. She lives, a, I'm sure, a fabulous life with as much money as she would ever need for anything she'd have to do. But But if she's happy and if this is organic, then she has an opportunity to to kind of be n- more normal. I mean, it's it's still in the public eye, and she's dating an NFL star or whatever. But the fact that she's in a crowd of people, with the crowd of people cheering for a team, and then hugging and kissing her guy at the end of the game, I'm just I. If it's organic, great. I'd I mean, be happy I, for. To it. some degree, I think it is organic. I mean, I'll let Josh. We'll take a break. Give me two seconds here. Um, nobody's listening this early on a Monday morning anyway. Why are we worried about the timing of the breaks? Um, <laughs> but I mean, there, there's probably some organic here. I mean, they, they, I don't understand. How do they meet one another? I mean, how did Kelsey and Taylor Swift meet one another? I mean, I'd be interested in that, but, but there's no denying that once the NFL realized they had a story on their hands, they were going to monetize it. But always, not some of the time, not most of the time, all of the time, once the NFL caught wind that this tight end from Kansas City may be smitten with this country pop singer. Uh, she's a pop singer now, right? Started out as country. Right. But she would be more of a pop superstar oh, yeah. today. I mean, of course, the NFL said, find an extra camera and find where she's sitting and let's put the camera on her as much as we do the Chiefs. And it worked three hundred thirty to fifty million dollars in extra revenue that they believe they've generated in female viewership. Trying to figure out what's going on with this Taylor Swift, Kelsey. You know who was what's his name? Greg? Uh, no, what's his first name? Travis. Uh, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, his brother is 
uh, center Jason. for the J- Jason Kelsey. He's the big guy drinking beer, uh, big barrel-chested guy drinking beer that kind of um, stole the the um, the ripped, fame and notoriety. His, he ripped off his shirt and jumped out of the box last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. The box did included Taylor, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Take a break. Back in a few. T- two of the interesting political stories that happened over the week. I mean, obviously, the troops that were killed in the drone attack in Jordan, a um, couple of a dozen were injured. Um, we'll, I have no idea what the fallout will be. I have no idea what sort of engagement the U.S. military, uh, no idea. I mean, I saw yesterday Lindsey Graham bombed Tehran, uh, some others, and Tucker had some colorful language. Uh, you know, some of the tweets he put out about Lindsey bombing Tehran and uh, some of these others, some of the other hawks, I mean, they see an opportunity to be more engaged in military endeavors. But the two biggest stories, as far as we're concerned, here in South Carolina, got a primary on the 24th of February, which is what, four weeks from, uh, three weeks from Saturday. Three weeks from Saturday. The two stories that I read over the weekend that were a bit interesting to me, um, yesterday on Face the Nation, yesterday on Meet the Press, I would imagine she appeared on multiple Sunday morning shows, but Nikki Haley said that we don't necessarily have to win. I mean, if we can just do well, and I mean, it's your home state. I mean, if you can't win your home state, you're going to you're not going to win the nomination. I mean, I don't I don't understand the logic there, except she's not going to win. And the other that could play into helping Nikki make her her decision is the Koch brothers and the Americans for Prosperity released a statement. They had some sort of gathering Saturday in some I don't know one of these political action committee summits about you know what their priorities are. And one of the uh, chief spokesperson for the Koch brothers, which is actually Koch brother now, uh, one passed away a couple of years back, but he said his words, uphill climb for the White House for Nikki Haley, and they were beginning to consider shifting the focus to some of these Senate races. Uh, the Senate is in play for the uh, Republicans. There are more Democrats playing defense. And, I mean, you got, well, I mean, you know West Virginia is going to swing. I mean, Manchin's not even running for re-election. Uh, Jim Justice, the governor of West Virginia, will more likely than not be the next senator or one of the next senators from from West Virginia. You've got um, Sheldon Brown, uh, I'm sorry, Sherrod Brown in Ohio. You've got a race in Pennsylvania. Um, Bob Casey, I think, is running. You've got the Kerry Lake situation in Nevada. Um, I mean, that would be a very swingy sort of um, sort of state. So the Koch brothers are beginning to consider whether or not to spend more money on the Haley campaign and kind of divert some of their resources to the Senate races. I got no idea. I mean, I've not studied the House enough to really understand, okay, I mean, they run every time. So it's always every seat's up for play or up for grabs in in every election cycle. The Senate's a little bit different, and there are far more Democrats playing defense in this rotation or this cycle of the Senate. So it'll be interesting to see how much money the Koch brothers, Koch brother, and Americans for Prosperity spend in good old um, South Carolina. If you're a media outlet, here we are, um, you don't like to hear that. You like to hear Americans for Prosperity spending enormous amounts of money. And I just wonder if there, how much coordination there was in that. When the Koch enterprise, let's call it that, because it's not brothers, when the Koch's 
when 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 Coax Enterprise calls the Haley campaign, I know they are not to coordinate, but who believes that? I mean, they are always these back channel ways of communicating one to another. But I got to believe sometime toward the end of last week, the Coke Enterprise Political Action Committee informed the Haley campaign that they were more likely than not going to pull some of the ad buying that they had considered buying and spend it on some of these Senate races. And that's when Haley kind of automatically said, well, this is not necessarily about winning in South Carolina. This is doing better in South Carolina than we did in New Hampshire. But if you lose Iowa and if you lose New Hampshire and if you lose South Carolina, I mean, the two states, the Nikki Haley, if Nikki Haley has any chance at all to win the nomination, she can't lose New Hampshire because it's opened up in, in the way it is. And people were pretty uh, substantially opposed to Trump. And I'm talking about independents and, and some of the Democrats that crossed over. I mean, if you can't win in New Hampshire and you can't win in, uh, in South Carolina, it's over. But I mean, there's just no way um, to win the race. I'm so curious. I have yet to see a single poll in South Carolina without DeSantis. I mean, I looked at RCP this morning to see if there were any polling. Um, I mean, the RCP average today, and this would have been updated Saturday. The R- RCP average Saturday is Trump at 52, Nikki at 22, DeSantis at 11. I mean, does, does DeSantis getting out of the race get Trump at 60? I mean, I think it does, and but but Nikki's probably, can Nikki get to 40? I mean, she got to 42 in in New Hampshire. Can she get to 40 in South Carolina? It looks to me. And, and once again, guys, I've not seen a single poll yet. I may try to text Robert during the break, see if he's done anything in the last few days. But it looks to me 60-40. Now, but that's kind of where it appears to me. That's worse than a Republican beats a Democrat in South Carolina. I mean, I won my race 55-45. I think South Carolina's a little more red now. I think Henry won 57, 58 to 42. That's a landslide. Oh, that's a In election terms, yeah. I mean, that's a butt whooping. 55-45 is a butt whooping in, uh, in politics. But, yeah, 60-40 in your home state, where do you go from there? I mean, you know, I, I just don't know. There's not a path forward. And I understand the name and notoriety. I understand prep at the table for the next potential uh, run that comes. I just don't understand what Nikki's strategy is. I mean, I understand why she's staying in because once again, consultants are good at talking donors that are giving more money and consultants are good at convincing donors that, Hey, if we can hang in there another week or two or three, there's a legitimate chance we can turn this thing. And, um, and Twitter was ablaze with the $83 million settlement that Trump is responsible for in this defamation case. And they're talking, I mean, so many people on Twitter said, that's what you get for raping a woman. He's a rapist and he's costing him 83. It's defamation. It's not rape. I mean, the woman made an accusation. I don't think Trump's ever been, I mean, I think sexual uh, harassment was some of the original charges. But the the $83 million settlement is Trump saying the lady's full of it. I mean, he defamed her. I mean, it's a defamation case. It's not a sexual harassment case. It's not a case about rape. I mean, it's not a criminal charge. It's a civil charge, and it's all about defamation. This lady said that Donald Trump raped or sexually harassed her, and Trump said she's a liar. Don't know her. 
wouldn't wouldn't want to know her. If I didn't know her, I wouldn't want to be with her. And the jury, the judge and jury of the good old U.S. of A., um, the nation that litigates more of its GDP away than any nation on the planet, charges Donald Trump, what, $83 million. I mean, that'll be appealed, and we'll see how that how that plays itself out. But um, it's not a rape charge. It's a defamation case. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I went back and read some of the uh, exit polling in Iowa and New Hampshire, and we're talking about immigration and the economy. I'm still not sold that at the end of the day, immigration is going to be a bigger deal than, than the economy. I mean, I understand we've got a lot of attention being paid to the southern border. We've got this lawsuit, you know, that the Fifth Circuit Court in uh, the U.S. got the appellate courts are going to try and decide. Got an injunction. The Supreme Court overruled the, in, the injunction. We got a lot of energy there, Rev, right now with um, Governor Abbott and what he's doing and what the federal government may or may not do in regards to that. And I know that matters. I mean, I do. I believe the optic of the southern border watching the invasion take place right before our very eyes. There is no doubt that matters. But I'm not sure come the middle of summer when I predict the economy begins to really struggle. I mean, that, that's kind of the way. I mean, Diamond missed it by, let's say, six months or so. So we get to June and the economy really starts struggling because the markets have already baked in about seven rate cuts. And now they're kind of backing up a little bit like some of the things Powell said recently. I don't know why the market thinks we're not so serious now as we were about inflation. I mean, inflation is still persistent. And, I mean, there's no doubt about it. We're, we're dealing with a, um, I mean, disinflation is better now, but we're not. Well, I mean, disinva- disinflation is prevalent now because it was so hyperinflated for such a long period of time. But I went back and read. Um, some of the exit polling in New Hampshire and Iowa about immigration and inflation. And it's not the economy. I mean, they're not asking the economy. The economy is a big part of this, but they're asking about, you know, what is the most important thing on your mind today? And Republican voters or independents and Democrats who voted in the um, New Hampshire primary, they're saying immigration one, inflation two. In other words, it's not how important is the economy. Some of these are I don't want to say leading poll questions, but they are. I mean, they're push-polled a little bit. Um, between immigration and the economy, what's the most important issue? These were open-ended questions from what I read. They'd ask a voter when they left the ballot, when they left the polling station, hey, what's the most important issue that, that will affect or impact your vote? And the majority of people said immigration. But but once again, I think that's because of all this energy in Texas and some of the lawsuits and legal challenges and primary voters seem to be a little more informed on average than most. But I went back and looked at some of the, uh, some of the feds numbers. And if you use their data, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm not making up anything that's sitting in zero hedge or the Mrs. You know, I mean, this is Mrs. Wire is somewhere I go a lot. The, the, the Mrs. Institute about libertarian government and finance and, and the economy. But it's costing the average American family about $11,434 a year to maintain the exact same standard of living from January 21. Um, and I, we could go into, you know, consumer price index. I mean, the consumer price index is a measure. It doesn't mean much to, to any of us, but it means a lot to economists. 
and it means a lot to political advisors if they know what they're they're talking about. Um, the CPI is at three thirteen two one six. Now, once again, that number doesn't mean much to the majority of Americans, but it's off the chart. I mean that that is an incredibly high number. It's about one thirty one a dollar thirty one cent today to buy what a dollar would buy pre COVID. Well, that doesn't seem like 31 cents. That's not, well, I mean, that's just 31%. I mean, it's not much on a dollar, but, but, but on a hundred dollars, it's 131 on a thousand is a thousand three hundred thirty-one. I mean, it's a lot of money and it's significantly impact. So I took the data from the fed and extrapolated on a weekly paycheck. I mean, inflation is costing Josh on a, on a weekly measure, $219.88. Now, but that would have been pre-COVID. Josh could have lived for $219.88 a week, cheaper than he can right now. My wife and I went to the grocery store uh, in Georgetown County, and it's it's still mind-boggling. I mean, it's just astounding. You put things back because you don't have to have them. I mean, it's just not like, okay, we've only got $72.65 to spend on groceries this week. I mean, some people budget to that extreme, we don't. I mean, we buy some things we need. We buy some things we don't need. But I find myself more and more and more not buying the things that I really don't need. It, 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 when I when I buy that thing I really don't need, it is four bucks. Okay, that's four bucks. But when it's seven dollars and ninety cent, and Rev's nodding his head. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're all oh, in that yeah, same boat together. Right. I'm in the grocery store, and I need these things. I gotta have paper towels, and I gotta have laundry detergent. I got to have toothpaste and I got to have all these necessities, but there's that ice cream cooler and there's that half gallon of ice cream. And I suspected it was going to be $3 and 89 cent, but no, it's $6 and 90 cent. And I'm not talking about the BOGOs and the sales items and all these things. I mean, the grocery stores are still affordable if you'll buy what they want you to buy. I mean, you know, they've got this special on this and that special on that. But if you want to buy what you want to buy, it's a lot more money today, $219.88 every single week. And you got to make a lot of money for $219.88 a week to not matter. I mean, you got to make an enormous amount of money to say, hey, I don't care what inflation is. doesn't bother me. I mean, I would imagine Taylor Swift doesn't care what inflation is. I would imagine Patrick Mahomes doesn't care what inflation is. I get it. I mean, I understand they're, they're, they're making multiple millions of dollars every single year, 99.99% of Americans are not. And and I, and I think we're still toying around with the idea of when this economy really begins to stall because of rampant inflation. And I mean, at 952, I mean, I did it per month. I mean, if you get paid once a month, it's cost you about $952.83 every month that it was not costing you. And that is maintaining the exact same standard of living from January 21. I mean, that, excuse me, for January 21, as opposed to when COVID started. COVID started, I mean, that would have been a year into, and I mean, nothing has, has decreased in price. I mean, there's nothing. And, and once again, consumer price index number, I mean, I think we, a lot of us have a, a, a grasp of the concept. I mean, the consumer price index, that's how much things cost. I mean, that's a measurement. The government uses that as a measurement to make a determination about how much stuff costs. But but if you said, hey, did you know the CPI is 
313.216? Nope. Didn't know or know what it means. Um, well, what it means is for every for, for what you could buy for a dollar pre-COVID, it cost a dollar thirty-one now. And the average American spending two hundred nineteen dollars and eighty-eight cents a week to maintain the exact same standard of living that they were pre-COVID. And I don't care how many illegals make their way across the border. I believe that at the end of the day, if the Trump team can convince America that the Biden team are on the hook for this inflation, they're the reason you're spending two nineteen eighty-eight per week to maintain the exact same standard of living. They're the reason you hadn't had ice cream in six weeks. I mean, they're the reason that you hadn't had a Snicker bar. I mean, a Snicker bar in a convenience store is two seventy-five. A Snicker bar in a convenience store is two seventy-five. I don't know the last time I've had a Snicker bar because they won't finance it. Take a break. <laughs> Back in a few moments. Josh, one of the interesting points made in Davos, we've talked a lot about the Davos men and women. Uh, you know, the crowd at Davos set the uh, the guardrails for the economic world, and we live in, and they dictate the terms and conditions which we of which we live. That Something that caught my eye, and it's kind of interesting the way they said this, the cost of inequality. That's, that's kind of an interesting angle, uh, an interesting way to look at something. They're talking about tax policy. What they're basically saying is maybe we've had it too good for too long and we're creating economic instability. And whoever wrote that book, Here Come the Pitchforks, knew what they were talking about because we're commandeering more and more of the nation's wealth. And I'm not talking about just America. I mean, this has happened around uh, the world. The Fed and stimulus and economic policy and all these other things that go into this. It's kind of like the wizard behind the curtain uh, or the Seinfeld episode with the write-off. I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing it. They're ending up with all the money. You know, a higher percentage of, of wealth is concentrated in a smaller percentage of people around the world. And um, and the Davos crowd are beginning to begin consider what alternative plans could be. Um, in other words... We've got more wealth than we've ever had, and the people who don't have it believe that we didn't get it fairly and squarely. Trump's kind of a manifestation, once again, my word, of that. Um, so the cost of inequality is maybe exceeding political stability. So can we, the Davos men and women who created the world that allowed them to get all the money and everybody else kind of scratching like, where did my share go? Why, why is it so hard for me to pay? Why is my life cost $219.88 more? I doubt anybody at Davos worries about two nineteen eighty eight a week. I mean, I doubt anybody. I, I, I'm sure the presenters did not. There may be a custodian that that you know cleans up the rooms after they leave the mess and picks up the you know the scrap caviar and the spilled Dom Perignon. But um, the, the cost of inequality is just uh, Josh Rev kind of an interesting mm -hmm. way to look at that. Um, and it was not said by just one person at one seminar. I mean, I listened to, well, I didn't listen. I read reporting of uh, the Jamie Diamonds of the world. Um, but but what know. exactly are they saying when well, they I mean, say it? I think they're saying that we're, we're, we've gotten so damn rich till the people don't trust the way we got rich. And it's breeding this political instability. Remember we said last week, mm -hmm. we did a couple of days worth of shows about disruption becomes destabilization 
And the last thing you want if you're on top of the food chain is to destable the system. So I think what Diamond and those are saying, I think Diamond threw a bone uh, to the Trump crowd by saying, I mean, he's right on China. You know, I mean, I think that's him saying, hey, that this, this cost of inequality, people are catching on to it. They're, they're beginning to understand that maybe we don't deserve all this wealth we have amassed. Uh, maybe it has been Fed-induced. Maybe it has been government policy edict and order. Uh, it's not us getting up earlier and staying up later and working harder and being smarter and having better ideas. I mean, historically, we believe that's how the majority of people end up with more money than anybody else, right? I mean, they get up earlier, stay up later. They're smarter. They're more persevering. They're more diligent, more of a risk taker. And now I think we're beginning to believe, oh, yeah, they, they, some of those folks do that. But the majority camp out in Washington and create this unequal system. And they're beginning now to talk about the cost of inequality. And is the cost of inequality exceeding people's, uh, what, what they're willing to tolerate, what they're willing to put up with. Let's kind of go down that road because I think that could be a very interesting discussion. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. So, Josh, Rev, yes. do each, do either of you resent? Well, let's, let's preface it with this. Do you believe in the free market, Josh? Yeah. Do you believe in the free market, Rev? I do. So you believe that a um, a satisfactory standard of living requires someone to get up and go to work, uh, add value to the economy, um, serve the needs and wants of consumers by providing, uh, performing a job or providing a widget that the market says is worth X. In, in other words, um, you know, the Rev, Dave, and Ken widget manufacturing company make a good enough widget and sell enough of them that Rev, Dave, and Ken can live comfortably. I mean, that's the free market, right? I, mean, I don't think anybody resents that. I mean, it, you know, you pay X number of dollars to get somebody to fix your car or cut your grass or, you know, build a studio, uh, service equipment. I mean, that's kind of the, um, we all enjoy, and we hope we do, um, a satisfactory standard of living by making a contribution to the free market that is commiserate with the, with the value we add. So why do you resent? Because I detect both of you resent <laughs> the super rich. Why do we resent? I mean, aren't they just smarter? I mean, aren't they just better at it? Aren't they free market capitalist extraordinaires? I mean, isn't that kind of what? Well, draw the line now because you said the super rich. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't put, for example, Elon Musk, who is the well, super rich. Davos. Yeah, the, the Davos crowd. So so what is super rich, Josh, in your world? I mean, what is what is, is, it, is it wealth or is it income? Um, it's a good question. I, the, when you first asked that, the thing that popped into my head is someone who makes several million dollars a year on average. Okay. Taylor Swift would be super rich. Yes. Jamie Dimon would be super rich. Um, we're not sure the person running the regional bank that we keep our accounts at are super rich. Fair enough. Yeah. We suspect they're doing better than average. I mean, we suspect the guy that is a president of a bank that has eight or 10 or 12 branches. I mean, I think we all expect that he's doing better than, than average, but I don't think any of us believe he's, you know, rubbing shoulders with Taylor Swift or Jamie Dimon or some of the others. Um, but why are we building? Why is there, why is there resentment? And why is Davos talking about the cost of inequality if they don't believe in the free market? I mean, Rev said all of his life, 
He has believed that you kind of get what you deserve. Mm-hmm. And if you get up a little earlier, you stay up a little later, you work a little harder, you, you know, just make better decisions that, that financially you, and, and I want to make crystal clear, the world has decided that financial success is success. A lot of Americans don't agree with that. I mean, I know people in my world that have passed on making more money because they're very comfortable in their life. They like the lifestyle they've got. They've got enough free time. They work enough. Uh, they're able to parent their kid. They're able to look after a, an aging parent. I mean, you know where I'm headed. I mean, they've had an opportunity to go off and make more money, but they say, yeah, but but I, I like my life. I mean, I've got some flexibility in my life. I've got a sick mom. I'm able to go care for my mom. I mean, this job pays another hundred grand a year. I mean, that's a lot of money. This job that they offered me pays another hundred grand a year, but I'm gone four nights a week. And I just didn't want to do that. I mean, my life, the, um, my lifestyle is, is, is very manageable under these, um, conditions. But Rev, when did the resentment come? Um, how prevalent is the resentment and what do you believe kind of initiated you being resentful about the, the ones I call self-proclaimed masters of the universe. Well, well, recently it's probably been just because I start questioning how is it they're earning this money or are they even earning the money? How are they acquiring this money? And the fact that they also appear to want to not only acquire all the money, they want to acquire the, the power to be able to tell people around the world what to do. And that's pretty offensive. Josh? Um... Honestly, I resent the poor a little bit more, but that's a different kind of topic. I think. Why do you that, resent the poor? Uh, because I think they're like with the rich. I get what you're getting at, where the rich, uh, the the uber rich, that basically dictate where society goes. Um, you're more at, resentful at, at the toward very, the poor than that. Than- yeah, yeah um, to an extent, because regardless of you know the rich steer society whether we like it or not and that's just that's just how it's going to happen that's just always how it's going to be but the sentiment about curtailing the poor and like in, instead of a civilized nation providing a safety net for people it's become providing a basically minimum quality of life uh, being subsidized by people who actually work and that institution that mindset is being enforced by the super rich okay so let's let's stay here for a second this this can be an interesting conversation i'll agree with you josh that enabling people to not work and enjoy enjoy i don't want to say a a, a, you know a middle class lifestyle i don't think people i don't people that don't work enjoy middle class lifestyles but they enjoy better than they deserve i mean there's no doubt about that but if you decide not to go to work and you've you play these games with these programs and you're able to, you know, make 40 grand a year. I mean, that's not middle class unless you're by yourself. I mean, you know, you inherit a house and you, I get, I mean, there, there's some anomalies there, but by and large, people who are fleecing the system are not living in the middle class. And if they are, they're living at the very low end of the, of the middle class. There is no doubt that that has a rotting effect on culture in general. I mean, that there is no doubt that society begins to rot and suffer because people are able to not be productive but enjoy some of the benefit of, you know, uh, the the American middle class. I mean, that's kind of the best way to say it. Some of the benefit of the American uh, middle class. They're not living in a home with a paved driveway, 
but they're they're not hungry. They're not by any stretch destitute. They're able to go to a movie a week if they like. They go on a vacation occasionally if they like. I don't I don't doubt that. I think Rev. Here's kind of the interesting. Josh is catching the phone. So we believe that has a rotting and corrupting effect on our economy. No question about it. But is it more or less or about the same as rotting as the Fed printing $7 trillion of fiat currency and about 60 corporations in America ended up with about 80% of that money? I mean, what is more corrupt? What is more rotful? What is more disgusting? What is more dangerous uh, in influence or culture or society in in a negative way? I mean, I think that's a fair debate. I mean, I see exactly what Josh is saying. Now, the numbers are much larger, you know, with the uh, the hedge fund guys. And uh, you see where I'm headed. Some of the Wall Streeters, and they played games. And, I mean, someone asked me a while back about the um, the $15 million uh, M2 money supply turning into $22 trillion. And they asked me, so where does $7 trillion go? And I said, well, a third's in Bentonville, Arkansas. I don't know where the other two-third is. But, I mean, that's the wealthy getting wealthier. And that's a distortion of the free market. That is, once again, to me, the cost of inequality. They both have negative effects on our economy. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Josh's point has a very negative effect on an economy. But but I'm arguing that the resentment is is becoming less about the the poor and more about these oligarchs and financiers and self-proclaimed, self-appointed masters of the universe who just know how to play that game better than they're not adding value to the economy. You guys have heard me say over and over and over again, the question that I can't get out of my mind is could we, I know we can't, I mean, I know it's impossible, but could we hypothetically theorize there's two back to back words, hypothetically (laughs) theorize. I'm giving myself some wiggle room there. Could we hypothetically theorize on an economy where everybody gets exactly what they deserve. The, the the poor person that chooses to not work gets exactly what they deserve. The hedge fund manager that is good at what he does gets exactly what, what he deserves. What does the hedge fund guy get when he really knows what he's doing? And I'm talking about not influenced by by government, not not printing money we don't have, not not quantitative easing or or you know, um suppressed interest rates. I mean, we know the game. I mean, I think I've done a decent enough job over the years of, I don't want to say educating because I'm not qualified to educate. I think I've done a good enough job over the years of raising awareness about how the Fed so distorts the free market and the majority distortion advantages the high earners. Now, now once again, I'm not teaching that. I'm not trying to be professorial in my dissertation, but I do believe that we've raised awareness to a point where the majority of our listeners understand that when the Fed plays these games, when the government plays these games, the middle class doesn't benefit. The majority of benefit, the line share, the benefit goes to the, 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 the very high earners who understand the financialization of our economy. Let's go to the phone. Breeze. Hey, you're on. I had a friend, Jim, I know this might shock you, but um, he used to grow some pot, sell pot. And he told me that was the hardest work he'd ever done in his life. And I'm guessing if he'd have been alive back in the, or old enough back in the days of moonshining, he would have been a moonshiner. You met a few of those boys around Pathico yourself, I'm sure. But the difference was, he worked to get that money. When you look at uh, these guys like BlackRock, what did they create? What did they grow? 
Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Um, takes Mondays to make Fridays. That gets you wide awake. So Breeze's argument, let's take that and go. Uh, we got Ryan Schmelz here in a couple of minutes, but Josh, I want you and Rev to stew on this, and I want our listeners to stew on this. If we could outlaw the CEOs of BlackRock or the guy growing pot in the backyard of a single wide, <laughs> who is more damaging to the economy? I mean, let, let's kind of think on that for a second. Um, because once again, Davos has made an announcement and you know, I mean, these guys work in concert, I mean, they don't just wake up one day and say something without a lot of other people knowing what, what kind of what lane they're going to get in and, and what road they're going to travel down. And they talked about the cost of inequality. So breeze brings up a point and, and I think Josh brings up a very valid illustration. The, the person not working and receiving benefit from the taxpayer is corrupting the system to some degree. Now, to what degree? I don't know. Is that person able to work? That's real corruptive. Is that person not able to work? Then I think Josh Rev and I would all agree. Okay, that's the safety net. But the person got the bad car wreck, not of their fault. Insurance dropped the ball. You know, they're they're kind of left hanging. They they're they're going to be destitute if something doesn't happen. I think we all agree. Okay, I mean I get that. I mean yeah, the government needs to have some backstopping capabilities in situations like that, but, but how many disabled people are genuinely disabled? How many people are collecting disability that truly could go to work? That is an enormous corrupting influence on our economy. Somebody growing weed, somebody selling weed. I mean, I think we all agree the economy is a better place. The country is a better place when we're not selling weed and not buying weed and not smoking weed. But does that buying, selling, and smoking weed destroy the essence of our economy more or less than the CEO of BlackRock leaning on the Federal Reserve to keep interest rates at 0% and increase the M2 money supply from 15 to $22 trillion. I know the answer to that. <laughs> Which ultimately is robbing us of 200 and something dollars a week. And, and as Bree said, if you want to smoke weed, at least the guy who's selling the weed gives you a bag of weed. <laughs> What's the CEO from BlackRock give you? Yeah. 
let's hold on to that. Wow. There's an interesting <laughs> conversation there. Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays 843-661-0937. We'll get back to the other hypothetical, theoretical conversation <laughs> we're having early Monday morning. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. He's with us. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. I have a question for you, though, very first. Yes, sir. When you were lieutenant governor, did you ever shotgun a beer with your constituents? <laughs> <laughs> did I ever what? Shotgun a beer. Nah, I don't want to say that, Ryan. I, I don't want to. I, uh, the governor of Maryland. The governor. I saw that doing that this week at the tailgate. Yeah, I, I, I saw I, I, that. I might be related to some of those people. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I'll say this: I hold the all-time record for lieutenant governor being photographed with shirts and no sleeves. I mean, I, I know I have the all-time record of uh, dignified personnel wearing shirts with no sleeves, but that's at the beach, and you get away with it um, down there. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that. See, Ryan's gotten comfortable with us, mm-hmm. and um, and just and just because of that, we're gonna get comfortable with him, Rev. One of these days. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, <laughs> the Orioles and the Braves didn't work out, so we'll wait on baseball oh, season again, oh, see. again this year. <laughs> so, Ryan, I read this, and I, and I'll be honest. I mean, I study pretty good, and I try to keep up, but I've not heard much about this story. The Democratic senator, uh, or a Democrat senator, says the National Security Agency is buying America's internet data without warrants what are the details to that that's interesting to me right so so you have senator ron wyden of oregon who sent a letter uh and and this goes back actually a while where he actually blocked the uh confirmation of the incoming nsa director over his concerns that you know the nsa was buying up americans personal browsing data without a warrant so essentially what happened is that uh back in early december he got a letter where they essentially confirmed a lot of this information to him and he just is now making that letter public so now he's asking for the nsa to cease this uh surveillance that he believes is unlawful and has been debated for quite some time who are they buying the data from well, well, it, it, it's essentially they're gathering the data whenever uh, you know Americans are are searching the internet, and essentially this has been used uh, in many ways to stop terror attacks and also cybersecurity attacks over the years, and that's one of the justifications the NSA put out there for doing this was that this practice is used sparingly, but it it is a major need for national security and cybersecurity interests, but also when you're Factoring the fact that there's no warrants being used here, that's going to be a major civil liberties concern uh, from Congress and also other advocacy groups. So will will the will the legislative branch of the federal government pass a law that requires the NSA to have warrants if they want to, I don't know, uh, dig through your Internet data? Well, this is something that's been talked about, right? There, there's currently a FISA reform uh, reauthorization that, that's going on, and, and, and you know, uh, groups from different intelligence communities and, and intelligence committees are currently negotiating that. We don't know exactly where that's going to go or what that final product is going to look like, but it is something that is being looked at by both branch or both chambers of Congress right now. And this is kind of what Rand Paul warned about several years ago yeah. when when somebody appeared, and he, you know, they. I think James Clapper, somebody had to come back and, and apologize that they might not have been 100% truthful under under oath. So this is kind of a, um, I don't want to say a byproduct of that, but a continuing debate about what Rand Paul yes. spoke about three years ago or so? Uh, 
Oh, yes. And Rand Paul, I believe, was was even campaigning on this when he was running for president back in 2016, was that he felt there was a significant amount of unlawful surveillance that was going on. And a lot of and surveillance has really picked up ever since 9-11 happened. Right. It's been a way for that the intelligence media has tried to prevent terror attacks. But there's been a lot of uh, senators like Rand Paul. And now you look at Ryan Wyden, Wyden too, who's a Democrat. There's a lot of bipartisanship who have claimed that there's just that this surveillance has gone too too or, or overboard in many ways and is in many ways unlawful. And that's the argument Wyden's trying to make with this NSA story. Very well explained. Ron, thank you for your time, my man. Have a great day. Hey, you too. Have a good one, sir. That's just kind of an interesting story. It, it's a little bit like I mean, we could take that and go down the same road we're going about the uh, the cost of inequality. One of the one of the biggest problems in America today, and here I am. I mean, I'll try to connect dots. Stick with me for a second. We're talking about the cost of inequality, right? And the resentment that brings. Josh says that it it bothers him. I don't know if it words in his mouth, but I think he insinuated to me that it bothers him how many people at the bottom of the financial scale in America are able to live better than they should by fleecing off the government. I think Josh would agree with me that people on the other end of the spectrum, the top end of the financial scale, are living better than they deserve by fleecing off the government. Is that a fair characterization, Josh? Yeah, 100%. I don't want to sound like I'm completely putting the blame on uh, the the poor people. I'm just saying we can't. It's it's both of them, really. It's a corrupting influence. Right. At the bottom of the food chain, as well as the top of the food chain. That's a lousy, you know, example to get, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, the people at the top do possess all the power. They they could in a second say, you know what, who who cares about them? But the sentiment of Americans in general, and especially the ones at the very bottom, is what about me? And and then because the people at the top want to look good, they're appeasing this. But isn't at that, our expense. Okay, but go back to what Ryan's talking about, Rev. Isn't that kind of the inequality of the relationship the public has with its government? But there's got to be some balance here. There's got to be some trustworthiness here. There's got to be some integrity and morality. And and, and I've said it a hundred times. Once the government loses the moral authority, it becomes chaotic. But there's no other recipe, guys. There's no other place. When government loses the moral authority, there's nothing good to come of that unless you're a revolutionary. And then it's a hell of a time to be alive, right? (laughs) I mean, if the government loses the moral authority, they lose the credibility required to govern people. And and I think that's where we are. I mean, I think we're, I mean, obviously Trump is a political disruptor. There is no doubt about that. What his policies are um, is one thing, but his personality is a disruptive force in American politics. That's why the majority of people are voting for Trump. I doubt very many people. I can't put, I mean, I'm not a mind reader. And I, I know we like to say these things because it makes us feel a little more intelligent and informed about our voter. I'll tell you in a minute. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say it. I could find a lot of Republicans who agree with Trump on immigration, trade, taxes, the economy. But I can't find anybody that I genuinely believe the machine is threatened by. And that's good enough for me. I mean, that's a very shallow reason to cast a ballot in one man's favor. But that's the reason that I'm on the Trump train. Because I could find another Republican to say deregulate, lower taxes, trickle down, supply side. I mean, we have all these fundamental debates within conservative party lore and and thought leaders. I mean, you know, I could find one of those J.D. Vance, 
Josh Hawley, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that I could pick and say, hey, I like where this person stands on some of the policy issues, but I don't believe when, 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 the, when conservative Inc. says we find Haley acceptable, when conservative Inc. says we find DeSantis successful, I mean, acceptable, I don't hear acceptable. I hear controllable. I mean, that's all I hear. You know, we find Haley's policies acceptable. Well, you find her personally controllable. I mean, if you can sink your teeth into her, you know what I mean, with your Koch brothers and big donors and Wall Streeters and whatnot, then then she's controlled. And I so, so my my entire motivation for Trump is I don't think he can be controlled. I don't have any once again, I don't have any doubt that we can find somebody with better conservative policies. I mean, they've read the National Review since they were ten years old. I mean, they went to prep school. They they graduated from this conservative university, if there are any left, and with a degree in economics or business or whatever, whatever you'd want your your president to be, some of the prerequisites of what you want your president to be. But when I, when they say acceptable, my ears doesn't hear. I mean, my ears hear controllable. I mean, they're two separate words, but you say one thing, I hear, I hear something else. And and I just believe that the government, because Josh is talking about low end of the food chain. I'm talking about high end of the food chain. Well, is there anywhere in between that we trust the government? I mean, is there anywhere in between that we look at government and said, wow, you got that right. You did a great job of that. You did a great job of this. So when the government loses the moral authority, chaos ensues, and I think that's where we are. That's why I believe that all three of my kids will grow up in one of the most chaotic political periods in recent American I mean, no doubt in recent American history. I could even say in all of American history. Is this a new phenomenon? Is I it don't the, know, the, Rev. The awareness of, of Davos and, and the people that go to Davos and what they're up to. Here's the, here's the difference. Remember Obama said what kept him up at night, the proliferation of media? I mean, I've argued the decentralization of media, the, the, the inability to control the narrative is what really is reshaping political discourse in America today. I think they always went to Davos, and I think they always had these conversations about the cost of inequality. But CBS reported it the way they wanted it reported it. You know, the, the, the meet the presses of the world, the face the nations of the world, the, the CNNs of the world, they all kind of um, wink, nod, okay, here's what came out of Davos. And you and I were like, well, I mean, that many people aren't. I mean, it can't be a conspiracy where all, that many people are involved. And all of a sudden, we got Twitter and Instagram, and we got all these conservative websites. Some are legitimate, some are not. I'm not saying trust everything you read in conservative media or trust everything you hear on conservative radio. But all of a sudden, there's a, a counter voice. There's a contrarian opinion out there. And Rev scratches his head and says, well, I mean, you know, I, I just don't believe what I'm being told. I'm just real concerned. I do believe that Obama should stay up worrying about the, I mean, his words, not mine, the proliferation of media, the decentralized, the way the, the establishment maintained its integrity was controlling the narrative. I mean, the, the establishment has no integrity. <laughs> I think, but the, the way they proposed or portrayed themselves as having integrity, they controlled the narrative. Now they don't. They, they, they've lost control of that narrative. And, and, I, and I said one day a couple of weeks back, Josh believes he's got an extreme opinion. You believe you've got an extreme opinion. I believe I've got an extreme opinion. And CBS News says, yes, all three of you have an extreme opinion. I mean, COVID, the COVID shot works. 
I mean, that, it, there's no lab leak. I mean, that's crazy. That's nonsense. We're not spending $7 trillion we don't have. And all of a sudden, Rev's opinion, when, when, when not controlled by allied forces, agrees with Josh, and Josh agrees with me, and we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all these other ways we communicate, talk radio, all of a sudden Rev goes, you know, they, they try to make me believe I had these extreme and, and out of the mainstream opinions, but there are millions of people who feel like I do. I mean, I read the comment sections. You know, I read some of the tweets. There, there are more people out there like me than I ever imagined. And, and once you have that <sighs> affirmation, you become a dangerous cat because you're liberated now. Ref can believe some of these things that he's been historically told um, to not believe. And what comes to my mind is when now you can see on Twitter or some of these you know, outside, quote, media sources, you'll see somebody chasing John Kerry down the street at Davos with a camera in his face going, isn't it ridiculous that you flew in your private jet here to lecture us on CO2 emissions and that we shouldn't, you know, eat meat and drive vehicles, but yet you use your private jet to get here? Isn't that crazy? And, and we actually get to see that. And his message is, just, I mean, he has to have credibility and integrity. I mean, if Kerry's going to tell us how to power our economy, He's got to have credibility and, and integrity. And now it appears that he's got less credibility right. and less integrity. And people are like, who are you? And then he gets mad on camera. Sure. And, 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 and it, become, it becomes almost illegitimate. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I knew I wrote this down last week, one of these days. This will be Wednesday, January 24. I'll make these notes. I mean, Rev sees it. I get a lot of... I mean, I got phone numbers, and I got, you know, names, and I got, you know. A bunch of scribbling on that. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I wrote is we're talking about who controls the media. And Obama would be the classic example of the extreme narcissist that believes his opinion is the only opinion that matters. I've never said Obama was dumb. I mean, that's why Biden doesn't scare me but so much, because I think he's a bit dumb. I think all the Bidens are a bit dumb. Obama's not dumb at all. He is an extremely intelligent and bright and thoughtful man. I think he's terribly misguided. I think he's wrong with the policies, but I've never said the guy was dumb. He's unbelievably narcissistic. I mean, I think he's one of the most narcissistic human beings to ever walk the planet. Now, how do I make that judgment? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm an opinion monster. It's my opinion that he's one of the most narcissistic human beings, and he had one of these... Josh always said that Obama portrayed himself as every time he uttered a word, it came from a place of moral intellectual superiority. I mean, I know that what I'm saying is morally intellectually more superior than what you think, what you believe, what you say, uh, where you stand. But, but imagine the arrogance in believing that alternative opinion shouldn't be heard. I mean, imagine how arrogant you've got to be. I am. I love debates. Well, for me to have a debate, i got to have somebody with an alternative opinion, right? I mean, they, they've got to believe something different than I. Josh doesn't agree with a lot of what I say. I know he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't say it over the air, but he, but he comes to the door and says, well, I mean, I'm with you there, but I'm not with you here. I think that is fabulous. I think it makes us all better. We, we become more interested in our own opinions, and, and why do we believe these things that we fundamentally believe? But historically, we've had these debates. I mean, we've had monumental debates, Jefferson, Hamiltonian. I mean, that would have been one of the great intellectual debates about government in human history. I don't know if there's been a bigger debate than Jeffersonians who believed X about government, Hamiltonians who believed Y 
about government, but nobody said, hey, shut all the Jeffersonians down. Lock all the Hamiltonians up. That's where we got. And and that's when I think that the the inequality of government, the, the ability for government to say, hey, we're going to choose what opinions are allowed to be mainstream and what are not. I don't think any of us really understand how nervous we should be about what happened with Twitter and the State Department. I mean, I, I think we've blown past that. I think we all should sit down, slow down, and say, hey, do you know that the State Department was going to Twitter and convincing Twitter to not allow these stories to be on some of their feeds? I mean, they've got ways of amplifying. They've got ways of suppressing. They've got ways of censoring and deplatforming. And, I mean, it would have been one thing had Twitter gone to the State Department and said, hey, guys, I mean, there's this crazy story out about Hunter Biden's laptop, and there's some about the big guy and 10% and all this. I mean, we, we don't want to do anything you guys don't want to do. No. I mean, that would have been a liberal company acting as a liberal company would act, right? I mean, Jack Dorsey, he's a liberal, makes no bones about it. Dorsey goes to the State Department and says, hey, we're getting these Twitter, I mean, we're getting these stories out there, man, and it's starting to gain a little traction. We, we'd love for you guys to know that's not the way it went down. I mean, the State Department went to Twitter and said, there's going to be this story that the New York Post is going to report, and we'd love to see what you guys can do to help us make sure this story doesn't get in the mainstream. I mean, imagine the arrogance of believing that not only your opinion matters, but the other opinions don't deserve to be heard. That's why we've got such profound conspiracy theories flying around today. I mean, if somebody, if somebody has an opinion or a set of beliefs and they're censored, they're suppressed, they're not given a fair shake, that person naturally, I think, becomes conspiratorial, don't they? I mean, if, if you've got an opinion and, and you've thought through it, you're going like, I'm not crazy. I'm not losing my mind. I mean, here's what I believe. But the government works and conspires with other elements to not allow your opinion. I mean, that, how arrogant do you have to be? I mean, I think you've got to be incredibly arrogant to be in politics anyway. And in this case, we're not even talking opinion. We're talking about a story that ended up being true, right? That the government told Twitter not to let this story to be told. It's think, the truth, but it's harmful. Think to, about the number of their things agenda. the government went to Twitter about or Facebook about that turn out to not be true. The lab leak, we know now more likely than not true. The vaccine has significant side effects, right? We know now, um, m more likely than not, that's true. Uh, we were told uh, nothing to worry here, nothing to see here. You know, no side effects, perfect medicine. Everybody needs to get a shot, a booster, another booster, another booster. Um, You're not allowed to discuss anomalies with the 2020 election. No, no. Uh, th th there you go. It's one after the other after the other. It's almost like we need to put together David Letterman's top 10 list of conspiracy theories that turned out not to be conspiracy theories. <laughs> But they turn out to be, but, but imagine once again, the arrogance of believing that in this debate, in this great debate for American power, not only is my opinion better than yours, it's so much better than yours that nobody gets to hear yours. But that's scary guys. That's state run media. But that that's at least socialism, probably more like, like communism. Take a break back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Daphne and Dylan, hi. You're on. Good morning, guys. 
Can I believe that I addressed last week about Bill Barr allowing the FBI, not the State Department, to go to Twitter? I believe that the FBI took $3 million of taxpayers' money to influence Twitter, okay? So that was my gripe with Bill Barr. He knew about the laptop being real. And he was part of the cover-up of COVID and of the laptop. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate that. But Barr's never been asked those questions. I mean, Barr goes on friendly fire interviews where, you know, they ask him about his opinion of J6 or Trump's unpredictability. They never ask Barr, is there any dirt on your hands when it comes to Twitter? Is there any dirt on your hands when it comes to some of the other issues that I don't think it's just so interesting to me. And it's really, I mean, if Trump is given a second chance to be president, he's got to go out of the box on every pick to me. I mean, it can't be John Bolton. It can't be Bill Barr. It can't be Jeff Sessions, his first AG. I mean, it's got to be, I mean, if you're going to upset the apple cart, then upset the apple cart, right? I mean, it's got to be Ron DeSantis for AG. Vivek Ramaswamy is, uh, immigrate, uh, what is it? Uh, what's, what they call that? Mayorkas, what's his job? Uh, um, what is Mayorkas's job? It's not over the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, immigration. Anyway, over border patrolling and, um, and securing, but his official title is Secretary of Homeland Security. Secretary of Homeland Security. I mean, you got to go out of the box. I mean, you got, you really got to go out of the box, not just with, with the presidency and, um, I mean, the Heritage Foundation, from from what I've read, is the first think tank to say, if you can't beat them, join them. I mean, we try to convince, you know, Republican voters, this is not the way to go. America first is not the future. But I think the Heritage Foundation said, I mean, we're just getting killed. I mean, we don't win any elections anymore. Uh, Trump endorsed, Trump nominated candidates or dominated the Republican Party. And the Heritage Foundation, in concert with the American moment, or beginning to train some of these people. So when Trump does get elected, they kind of go in there to hit the ground running. I mean, they understand the way the government works. I know this is a weird way to illustrate it, but I've said it over and over again. I think Trump believed it was like his business. And if anything big gets done, it comes across my desk. I mean, Ivanka can do things. She can charge gas. She can use the company credit card, but she can't buy a golf course unless I know about it. You know, Don Jr. is doing all these things. I don't know what his girlfriends are, but, I mean, he's if he's going to do something big, I mean, I got to know about it. And I believe Trump kind of in his um, naivete. I think he just believed that there's nothing big going to happen without it coming across the resolute desk. And we just know that's not the case in government. I mean, it works. I mean, it worked against him. I mean, we know some of the military leadership basically said, this cat doesn't know what he's doing. We're going to do something without him knowing about it. We're going to do something against his will. Um, I mean, he's the civilian commander of the armed forces. That's the way our system works. But we know some of the military leadership had no faith or confidence in his ability. And despite him ordering X, they, they would kind of um, halfway carry it out or go uh, another direction. Milley, you'll probably hear a lot about General Milley here in the not-too-distant future and how threat, how threatening and dangerous Donald Trump is to national security. I would imagine as the summer gets here, that that'll be, that that'll be one of the storylines. We live in a, we live in a very crazy world. You can't have a crazy man at the helm and a crazy 
world. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Um, I was mistaken in believing the South Carolina primary was on a Tuesday. I mean, that was standard reason. For some reason, that's when we have the majority of our elections. Uh, but it's Saturday, February 20th. So three weeks from this coming Saturday, South Carolina will decide who its Republican nominee is going to be. The most interesting part of this, or a interesting part of this. The 24th, Saturday. The 24th. I'm yeah. sorry, the 24th. 20th would have been the Tuesday. Yep. Because I think last week, one day, I said the 20th of February. That's when I expected it to be. But it's not on a Tuesday, but rather a, um, a Saturday. I've not seen a single poll without Ron DeSantis. I've not seen a single poll out of South Carolina. I know there was a Twitter poll yesterday that had it like 58.3 to 29, no, 34.7 or something like that. But that's one of these interactive, what what am I trying to say here, Twitter-based polls. In other words, who won the debate? And automatically or, you know, two seconds after the debate's over, Twitter does this poll, and I don't want to say it's unscientific, but it doesn't have a lot of science to validate its um its conclusions. The RCP average uh, from Saturday has Trump at 52, Nikki at 21.8. Uh, Ron DeSantis is still included in the polls. He's at about 11%. The majority of what I've seen seems to lead me to believe that Trump gets about three of every four DeSantis supporters so if he gets 75% of 11%, Trump gets close to 60% of the vote. Nikki gets probably 40%. I mean, it's, um, I would say mano a mano, but it's not two dudes, but rather a dude and a, and a woman. So, um, you know, in three, what will happen in three weeks? I don't know. I don't have any idea what happens this week, next, the following, except we're preparing for a primary. There's a Nevada caucus and primary February 6th and 8th. That would be next week. And it's weird, the the Nevada the Nevada Republican Party tried to jump ahead of South Carolina and the General Assembly some way somehow. I don't have any idea why they chose to do it, but they basically ordered a primary instead of the caucus, and Trump's in the caucus, which I think is the eighth. Haley's in the primary, which I think is the sixth. I know Haley's in the primary. Trump's in the caucus. I'm not sure of what the dates are. The caucus is the only one that awards delegates. So, I mean, Trump will get all the delegates there because, once again, Haley's in the primary, Trump's in, in the caucus. We, I mean, we, we, it doesn't make any sense how we do this. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you leave Iowa, go straight to New Hampshire. You leave New Hampshire and go to Nevada. But you got three weeks between, well, really four weeks between New Hampshire and South Carolina. And I don't understand that. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I know why they're doing it. So you can spend a lot of money. I mean, that's why they're doing it. And if you had six or eight candidates and it was kind of a free-for-all, then I guess that makes a perfect sense. But we need to expedite the process of picking a nominee quicker and more efficiently and less antiquated than we do. And the majority of reason is because consultants have built a model that takes forever and they're able to bill for as long as they can for their consulting services. Services rendered, I think is how it comes on the uh, on the invoice. There's a monthly stipend, kind of a uh, retainer. And then if you want more done, they'll charge you 
uh, kind of an a la carte of what you want here and what you want there and what you want o- over there. But that's the driver in all this. Um, if you left Iowa, went straight to New Hampshire, left New Hampshire, went straight to South Carolina, we'd probably have a nominee. But then there would be millions of dollars not paid consultants to convince candidates uh, you can win, you can win. You, you know, let's um, I mean, we got what am I? We got momentum now after we leave uh, New Hampshire. I don't know Nikki's game. I mean, I really don't. Uh, she said yesterday that she didn't have to win. Okay. I mean, I don't understand that. You're a former governor of South Carolina, and you're going to believe you can lose your home state and remain a viable candidate. I mean, I, I just don't think there, there's one viable candidate in the Republican Party that's Donald Trump. I understand that, uh, you know, 25, 30, 35% of the party don't like that, but it is what it is. As we in Pamplico say, sometimes it bees like that, Josh, and it bees like that right now in the Republican primary. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, and I believe every day that goes along, I mean, I get the RNC. I mean, I think, you know, give McDonald a little credit um, to drop the idea of having a presumptive nominee before they come to South Carolina creates more division and less of an ability to kind of circle the wagons at the other end. What you've got to remind yourself, and I'm guilty of this, uh, I mean, I'm somewhat informed, but I'm still guilty in believing that Twitter is representative of the general public. I mean, Twitter's this crazy universe of hyper-intense people with opinions. The, the, the average voter working at the construction site in, you know, Bluffton, South Carolina, or uh, Reading, Virgi- West Virginia, or Harrisburg, Virginia, I mean, that, those people aren't tweeting. They're not consumed by the Twitter sphere. But I can watch Twitter. I can read Twitter. I can try and analyze Twitter, and I can get alarmed at how many opinions out there of conservative ilk that aren't going to support Donald Trump. If Twitter is a fair representation of the number of Republicans who genuinely mean it when they say, if it's Trump, I'll stay home. If it's Trump, I'll vote for Biden. He's got big problems. I just don't believe it is. I mean, I just don't believe that the Twitter sphere, you know, some of the, um, I'm thinking about people that I follow on Twitter that say over and over again, not only will I not ever vote for Donald Trump, I'll help Donald Trump get beat. The Liz Cheney's of the world, um, the Adam Kinzinger's of the world. I, I think Romney just won't say it. I mean, I think when Mitt Romney, the senator, Republican senator from Utah, goes into a, a ballot booth, I think he votes for Joe Biden. I mean, I really believe that. Uh, there's a little, in, in the weirdest way, I kind of admire. I not admire. I have a certain degree of respect for Cheney and Kinzinger when they say, you know, I'm publicly opposed to Donald Trump and I'm going to do everything I can to stop him from ever getting in the, uh, in the Oval Office again. I, I disagree with that, but I respect it a little bit. Romney is the guy that says, you know, um, I'm going to remain noncommittal. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, if you're not going to, emphatically and enthusiastically endorse the Republican nominee, then we kind of know what you're going to do when given the opportunity. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hi, you're on. Hey, uh, I, uh, I enjoyed hearing from Daphne briefly this morning, but, uh, what, what concerns me is I, Haley's going to lose South Carolina and she is going to lose it by a lot. There, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You may 
have a better uh, political prognostication than I do, but uh, I I just uh, don't see how she's going to win at all, even come close. And so I I go back to my theory that she's just a distraction to keep uh, say hey look at these uh, this colorful candidate over here while we should be preparing for the general election that uh, is absolutely serious and it could be fatal if we lose it uh, coming up in uh, November. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. I think it's sixty forty today. I mean, I don't know what it'll be February 24th. I think it's 60-40 today. What makes it closer? I would imagine, I mean, I don't know how the public digest the $83 million lawsuit. I mean, I don't. I don't have any idea. I mean, I don't think the majority of Trump voters are believing that he's a rapist. I mean, he didn't lose a charge on rape. I mean, he's not a criminal. He's He lost a civil case, a defamation case. In essence, the lady said that Trump sexually molested her. Trump said, I didn't do it. Not only do I not do it, I wouldn't do it if I could. And I don't like her, don't know her, never knew her, never liked her. Um, You know what I mean? Kind of defaming her. And she won a defamation case of $83 million. It'll be appealed. I have no idea where that ends up. I have no idea what effect or impact that has on the South Carolina primary. I really and truly don't. Um, I mean, I've seen it on Twitter. The Adam Kinzingers of the world, the Liz Cheney's of the world, so the Republican primary voters stoop into a level of voting for a rapist. Well, that's just disingenuous. I mean, that's fundamentally dishonest. And and I'd like to see a more strategic argument be made about some of the more serious charges that lie ahead. Um, I think we're going to get a little clarity on Fonnie Willis at some point in time in the next couple of weeks. We'll know something about that decision before we have the South Carolina primary. There you go. I mean, that, that would be kind of interesting. I mean, there could be a revelation in that case about old Bo that she hired that we know now know uh, she may have personally benefited by going on some cruises and vacations. She hired a guy that she's having an affair with. Nah, alleged. Let, let's be let's be fair. It, it's alleged that she had an affair with a lawyer that she hired. Um, she's not denied that. She she has taken exception with us, the media, conservative media in particular, targeting him because he's an African American not the, you know, the other Caucasian lawyers that she hired. I mean, I don't buy that. Once again, she is alleged to have had an affair with, and there's some, I don't know, um, ah, there's some discovery and a divorce hearing that will be made public before the South Carolina primary. And that's kind of a, I mean, that, that creates a credibility issue. And I'm not talking about with just Fonnie Willis, but it kind of leads, it, it, it kind of steers us into a, a stronger position, Josh, if we believe they've all they are out to get him. I mean, under any under any circumstance, doesn't matter. Whatever it takes to get Trump, they're out to get him. And if that means hiring somebody that I'm having to fare with and is qualified or not, I don't have any idea what the gentleman's qualifications are. I don't have any idea if they had an affair. But I think we'll know that, Rev, before the ballots are cast in South Carolina. I mean, they're early voting going on now. But, but I'm saying on election day. February 20, we will probably know more about the legitimacy of those allegations about Fonnie Willis uh, than we know now, and then we'll see kind of where it goes from there. But I think right now, Mike, it's about 60-40, and I just don't know. I mean, imagine, guys, we're we're talking about someone losing their home state by 20 percentage points, 
and going on. I mean, that's the irrationality of being opposed to Trump. It just breeds this incoherence. I mean, it breeds something in, in some people that you're like, what? I mean, Nikki Haley was on Meet the Press yesterday and said, I don't have to win my home state. I got to come close. No, you've got to win your home state to be a viable candidate. I mean, if you can't beat Trump in New Hampshire and you can't beat Trump in South Carolina, you can't beat Trump anywhere. I mean, there's nowhere on the calendar that suggests it'll be close and it's time to move on. But but once again, consultants like getting paid. Why would the person on Meet the Press yesterday not challenge Haley on that? I mean, why would the why would the host of Meet the Press? I mean, I gotta believe that in the good old days of um what was his name? Russert, Tim Russert. I gotta believe Russert would say, Pardon me, Governor, but surely you don't believe that. I mean, surely you don't believe that you can come close to beating Trump in your home state and then go other places. Cause I think nationally at 65, 35, I've given Nikki 60, 40 cause it's her home state. I mean, I think in, in the majority of states in America today that will go uh, red and I'm not talking about some, some of the bluest states in America. I'm talking about states that Trump has to win to have a chance to win a general election. I think he's 65, 35 over Haley. But she will get some benefit from having been the governor of her home state. I mean, there's got to be some advantage to coming back home, right? I mean, you know the the directors of the Republican Party in these counties. Maybe they don't like you. Maybe you don't like them. But there's familiarity there. I mean, you've got you've already got a machine that got you elected twice as governor of South Carolina. You lean on that machine a little bit. You know where to bump the drink machine. You you know how to get the Diet Pepsi out of it. It won't take your last dime. I just for the life of me, to believe that you can continue as a candidate for president losing your home state is bizarre. And nobody in the media is challenging her on this. They're like, oh, right, you don't, do you? You can, you can go to Super <laughs> Tuesday and, you know, this Coke, you know, the Coke brother, I mean, he may come through. And the, no, it's over. I mean, I'm saying it's over already, but it will certainly be over once Haley loses to Trump 60-40 or better in good old South Carolina. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Joe Biden was in South Carolina yesterday. I saw Steve Benjamin and Jim Clyburn and some of the other um, dignitaries of the Democrat Party in South Carolina welcoming Biden. I think he spoke at a church. Um, I think you call that speaking. I mean, it's a bit. I'll tell you, though, I mean, he's speaking in tongues. You know, in some of these denominations, speaking in tongues is a gift that you have. So maybe we've underestimated Biden. Maybe God in heaven understands exactly what he's saying because he is speaking in, in tongue. Um, it's not gibberish, but rather, but rather speaking in, uh, in tongue. It's so interesting to me. And I know this sounds a certain way and I, uh, I'll say it anyway, how in God's name, the African American church gets away with being as political as they do. And, 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 and white churches are, are so nervous and concerned about not going down the road of politic politics because you lose that 501c3 or that tax exempt status. I don't know if it's a 501c3 designation or not, but churches are exempt from uh, the usual taxes of business. And it's just, it's hard for me to fathom that <laughs> some churches, I mean, it's in your face, it's politics 101 and they're fearless in, in defying the, the IRS and the tax code of what you can and, and cannot do. And some of these other 
Um, you know, uh, let's call it what it is, black church, white church. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, the majority of African-American churches are more political than the majority of, of white churches. And it's just bizarre to me how all these years, um, one group, one uh, has become far more politically activist than, than the other group has. And if you talk to white pastors, they'll tell you, I'm just real concerned about going down that road for fear of some retribution or consequence from, from the federal government and the African-American church. I mean, it's in your face. It's politics. I mean, it's, um, it's directing the congregation, you know, the flock of this candidate's better than, than that candidate. When a political candidate is invited to speak at an African-American church, I mean, it's not about God in heaven. It's not about eternity. It's not about the Ten Commandments. It's, it's about how bad Donald Trump is, and I need your vote. And once again, when Biden speaks, I think there's some English in there, and there's some spiritual tongues uh, being, being spoken about because uh, he was in South Carolina yeah, he gave, I think with he Steve Benjamin and Jim Clyburn. Several speeches over the weekend, and they pulled some gibberish out of all of them. Well, I mean, apparently they're his guy. I mean, he's their guy. And I'm not talking about African-Americans at Biden. I'm talking about that they believe that he gives them the best chance to win in, um, in November. Now, who knows what happens between now and then. He's got this little move now he does. When he's walking, he'll jog like a couple of little, you know, a little fake jog to make people believe he's spry. I mean, it, it's weird to me. I mean, it's bizarre to me that, I mean, I don't care how much you hate Trump. That is bizarre. I mean, I get you know, s- some of Trump's antics are different and odd. But it's it's bizarre to me to watch Biden try to function as a normal human being in some of these orchestrated events. And, I mean, you've heard that there was a certain law enforcement agent that was mic'd, and he's telling him, you know, turn a little bit to your right, stand on that red tape. And Biden literally looks like he's dependent upon that guy to get him where he needs to and stand where he needs to and kind of point him at the teleprompter. And then he does, you know, some days he does okay reading the teleprompter. Other days he does it. I don't know the last time that I've seen Biden on the fly intensely talking about a certain issue. I mean, I've seen him walking across the yard, you know, getting on Marine Four, uh, Marine One, and he'll yell something, you know. But but there, there, there's not a sit down. I don't know the last time that I've seen Joe Biden have to answer multiple questions from voters or reporters or, you know, a single reporter at a sit down interview. I mean, I think he's done one with, um, what's the late night guy? Uh, not Conan O'Brien, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, I think oh. he appeared with Kimmel recently for a few moments, but wow. I'm okay. sure that was riveting a lot of, well, lot they, of I mean, tough it, questions. And then, I mean, they probably coached him up and told him exactly <laughs> what they were talking about. And Kimmel even kind of rescued him a couple of times when it looked like he was, drifting off into the abyss like he has a tendency to do. But I don't I mean you can find Trump different and odd and, and unacceptable as a president, but I don't know how you can defend Biden's unwillingness to engage voters or reporters about serious issues facing uh, the American people. It's surrogate after surrogate after surrogate. Uh, it's the media trying to control the narrative, you know, on, on what he says and what he doesn't say. The beauty of Biden is you don't really know what he says. I mean, it's a little bit like a James Brown song. I mean, I've listened to James Brown since I was a little boy. There, there's, I don't know of, but one or two songs that I kind of know what he's singing about. <laughs> and there's a little genius in, you know, not knowing what you're singing about. Josh would, when he first started, Josh would say, 
7.9%. And I say, no, Josh, say somewhere around 8%. That gives you a little wiggle room. You don't want to be put in a box that small. So, you know, Biden, may, maybe there's beauty in the ambiguity of which he speaks and the, uh, the uncertainty of what he meant when he does speak. But once again, I understand you don't like Trump. I, I, I do. I really and truly get that. I'm not as bothered as you, but I certainly respect the fact that he can be unpresidential at times. But I don't know how you defend Biden appearing to not, I mean, genuinely, genuinely not knowing where he is and not knowing what to do, what to say, where to stand, who to follow. I mean, he, he walks off of the Billy's interviews. I mean, you guys have seen this multiple times. I mean, he's standing there. He delivers prepared remarks. And then he kind of backs up a half step and the person gives remarks after he does and he's gone. Hell, he's walked off the stage. I mean, he's, I don't know where he goes. I mean, I don't know where he goes when he just walks off. Remember the interview he did sitting down at a table with somebody from NBC News. Yeah, I remember. And they were about to go to commercial break and you just saw him like walking in the backdrop, just walking across the stage. And I'm like, good land. Yeah. How in, how impaired, but I mean, that's not incoherent guys. But that's impairment. How impaired are you when the person interview it? You've been in politics 50 years, and the person says, thank you, President Biden. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few. And there he is walking, walking, by. walking that's right. past the stage. You, like, think, you think he's done enough of those where he would know you sit there for just an extra few seconds and let them wrap the segment. But he doesn't know anything now, Rev. That's the odd part. That's the scary part of this. Trump says crazy things. But I think we understand what he says. Biden does these just odd things. And you're like, where's he going? I mean, I wonder how many people on his staff have said, where's he going? I mean, what, what, what's he doing now? It's it's elder abuse is what it is. Let's go to the phone. Neil in Sumter listening to WTXY. Morning, Neil. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, I am calling to divert your attention away from the uh, oh-so-fun beating up on Biden. Uh, we've got a couple issues going on here in Sumter County uh, that I don't know if y'all are aware of, but we could certainly use your help. Um, and as you guys being part of the, as, you know, the exalted media who can shine a spotlight on things. Uh, the first one, have you heard about what's going on in the township of Maysville? Have you heard any of this? I have not. The cliff notes are that uh, a multi-term, uh, not always consecutive, multi-term mayor was upset in an election uh, in November uh, I think it was 114 to 140 votes. And as the new mayor tried to take over uh, and, uh, you know, get the keys to the office, it turns out there's a bunch of odd things that have occurred uh, regarding the city offices being inside of a building that was renovated under a 501c3 development corporation that the former mayor's husband is the chairman of. Before uh, the new mayor took office, they changed who the board was on the 501c3. And there's all sorts of weirdness going on. The new mayor has not even been able to, to call a city council meeting um, because they don't – he doesn't have access to the the offices. Uh, he's tried to order the city clerk to stop paying utilities on buildings that the city doesn't own. The city clerk refuses his orders. It's a, it's a lot of oddness going on. Um, it's in the – it's been in the Post and Courier. And it's been in the Sumter Item. But it sounds like uh, it's one of those things that, you know, no law enforcement person wants to deal with it. But it may, uh, because of the type of grants they got, it might actually be a federal issue uh, because they've got grants for this building. So, And that's um, in Maysville, anyway. Neil? Maysville. Yep. Okay. Maysville, South Carolina. Okay.
I'll do it. I'll do some digging and see what I can find out. And then the second issue, and it's this is a hard one for me to understand, but one of the county councilmen has proposed eliminating a background check for a business license for felons. And I, for the life of me, can't figure out what the motivation on this is. Um, it feels like like some of the national level kind of you know woke agenda stuff, um, but essentially. You know, you can't prove how many people have never applied, but it really hasn't had a chilling effect on anybody yet. So that it's hard to figure out who the victim class is on this. But essentially, you could be a recent felon, say you were convicted of elder abuse, and you could come in and, and in the county without a review, open up a, um, a business to take care of elderly people, and there wouldn't be any cross-check on it. You could... You could have been convicted of a financial crime and come in and open up a little check cashing business. Um, you know, in the, uh, the county, the county of Sumter uh, butts right up against our Air Force Base, and, and luckily we're pretty cleaned up now. But you remember the days when a military base was were just known for all the shady businesses outside of them, um, and that's the last thing we need is that sort of stuff coming back. So, um, anyway, just wanted to, to let you know that the items done some good reporting on that. And I'm trying to uh, to follow up um, and see what's going on, but it's the shady one. So it's not sure what's not sure what the motivation is on this one. Well, we'll find out. We'll we'll try to do some digging and see what we do for Maysville and the Sumter County situation. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate yeah. that. I mean, that's kind of our job is to um, mm-hmm. maybe we can, Josh, if you don't mind. I mean, I'll say it on the air. Maybe we can find out the reporter's name of the item and get them to come on the show and and let's begin a discussion about these two issues, what they found, what they're not certain about, where this. Uh, what what the accusations potentially could be, what some of the um what some of the recourse is, what what can uh, be done about the situation in Maysville, the situation in Sumter County. I'm certainly not afraid to do that. I mean, I'm not going out looking for stories, but when one finds its way uh, to where we are and seems to be impacting people who potentially listen to this show, I think we have responsibility to uncover whatever it is we can uncover. Take a break. Back in a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. Couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, Ken, I was looking at Miss Tara on CNN this morning. She said it was rape. She said it was rape. That's the reason she took him to court. And another thing, Trump was the woman, was the reason that the women do not have the right to have a little abortion. Isn't that kind of ironic? Williams, I, I got, I, can, I, can I take exception with something you said? What? Why, why are you watching CNN and not listening to us? I'm watching both. <laughs> no, you I can't do both. both. I, don't, I don't buy that. You, you can't watch <laughs> well, that when, madness when, on CNN. When I saw it on TV, when I saw it on TV, so I cut you down for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't do that. And he... Trump, the one, took a woman right to have an abortion. Thank See, you. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. I would argue Trump is the one that appointed judges that restore the constitutionality of states' rights to make decisions on when a woman should be allowed to terminate a pregnancy. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things kicking there. Um, if Trump is guilty of rape, put him in prison. I mean, if Trump raped a woman... Put him in prison. The $83 million settlement is defamation. 
It has nothing to do with sexual harassment. I mean, Trump, she made accusations. Trump denied the accusations and said some pretty derogatory things about her. She says he defamed her. She charged for defamation or, or, or sued for defamation. And imagine finding a liberal jury and a liberal judge in New York. Probably not very hard. Let's go to the phone. Charles in the Marg. Morning, Charles. You know, it's interesting. The uh, Supreme Court restores states' rights regarding abortion, but they want to take away states' rights regarding protection of the border. Um, pretty interesting what we're living with today. Ken, I just tagged you on a Facebook pay post that I posted last week about that Maysville situation. Um, it is absolutely shocking, and it's a Post and Courier story, which was in the item. So I know you've got some local connections with the Post and Courier. It shouldn't be hard to get uh, somebody in there to talk about it. But I think if you just take a few minutes to read this story, your 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 jaw will hit the desk. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable. Um, but anyway, when you get a chance, look at it. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think we have an obligation to do that. I mean, we're not journalists. We don't go around looking for news stories, but we do have some connection to the Post and Courier, and we'll try to run that down. Is the item owned by the Post and Courier? I mean, the Post and Courier owns some of these smaller market newspapers and maybe um that there's a uh, well i mean if it's a post and curry article obviously they're covering it but yeah i, I don't want to i don't want to speak too much on it imagine that um never stops me before but i mean that's a news story i mean you're making serious accusation about local government i want to make sure that the people who are giving the most thorough understanding have done the most thorough research does that make sense so i'm not on the fly going to say, I know what's happening, and it shouldn't happen, and here's why it's happening, and here's why here's why it needs to be fixed, because I don't know the ins and outs. I did see something. Uh, I follow Charles on Facebook, and I did see something last week that he said about Maysville, but but I'm going to be gut-level honest. I don't live in Maysville. You know what I mean? I, if it had been Florence or Pamplico, I probably would have played closer attention, but we've got, a, um, we've got a good listening audience in Sumter, and the item is covering this. And we need to know what's going on, so we will do our best, Josh, to see if we can get in touch with somebody, the Post and Courier, or the uh, or the Sumter Item, get them to agree to come on the show and and kind of divulge what they've learned, and then we may have to get to work a little bit and find out what the state government believes it needs to do in regards. I mean, is there an investigation? Is there criminal activity? Is there criminal behavior? Is there a lack of accountability? Who's doing what? And um, and let's kind of you know. Let's nudge this story along a little bit more uh, aggressively and see if we can find, I don't want to say who the bad guys are, but who's doing things they shouldn't be doing and hurting the people of um, of Maysville, 843-661-0937. But I will certainly, I mean, you've got my word, we'll make a, uh, a, a, a diligent attempt today to find out what we can't. I'm not saying we'll have somebody from the Post and Courier or the Sumter item on here tomorrow, but that's our goal. I mean, we'll try to get somebody on here tomorrow to discuss in, 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 in detail and specificity exactly what they have found out. And I mean, the, the, to me, the biggest question is who's investigating this? I mean, if there's governmental malfeasance, who's investigating? Who's in charge of an investigation? Is it the county council in charge of investigating? Is it local law enforcement? Is it SLED? Is it the attorney general's office? What sort of laws are being broken? Who's breaking the laws? And what sort of accountability or enforcement needs to be brought about to to those people? That's kind of um 
I mean, that's, that's, that's local radio. I mean, that's what we do here. And if we can't cover that story, then shame on us. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937. Can you imagine the, the cerebral jujitsu necessary to listen to CNN or watch CNN and listen to us? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the bandwidth it takes to go from there to here, back to there, back to here? I mean, they've got a take on the world. We have a take on the world, and rest assured, they're not remotely um, close one to another. One of the things Williams brings up is something the Democrats are going to bring up over and over and over again. We know Trump has issues with female voters. They've got to get a message together on abortion. I mean, Trump has been far less vocal about abortion. I mean, he says a lot about immigration. He says a lot about the swamp. He says a lot about, you know, the um, the demise of Joe Biden. He says a lot about bird brain Nikki Haley. I mean, some of these nicknames, it's funny. It's jovial. It makes for good entertainment. But I'm telling you, the Democrats can't run on the economy. They can't run on immigration. They can't run on the record of this administration. They're going to try to make women afraid that they're never going to be allowed to end a pregnancy if they so choose. You've seen some of these campaign rallies with Biden. He has a big banner behind him that says restore Roe. Yeah. So that's an issue. Well, that, and that's, and, and Trump, or excuse me, that's the, the issue. Democrats have a, I mean, they're, they've made their mind up. There's, there's gains to be made there. There's political hay to be put in the barn. The Republicans have yet to figure out. I mean, and I said it a couple of, you know, when Roe was overturned, can the Republicans take yes for an answer? It's been hard. I mean, it's been very hard. Lindsey Graham, for whatever reason, decided to offer as a, <laughs> I mean, imagine you're a conservative Republican. You've waited all your life to see Roe v. Wade restored to the states, and Lindsey comes out with a, well, let's federalize election policy. I mean, I understand what Lindsey's saying. Let's make it illegal anywhere in America for a woman to have a pregnancy past this point. I get it. I mean, I understand it. But conservatives argued for decade after decade after decade that it was not constitutionally sound that the federal government had no business in the um, in the issue of abortion. And I think we paid a pretty significant price as a result of Lindsay's misspeaking. And I understand how you feel, but you've got to take into account the realities, the political realities. And, um, and I don't know that the Republicans, I mean, to me, it would be, I want to see a world where fewer women are having abortions. But I certainly understand I nor women live in a perfect world. Let's make it less likely for a female to have an abortion, but in the rare circumstances that they do, let's make it safe. Let's take the shame and embarrassment. I, I don't. I don't know. You got to couch that message very carefully because you got this set of beliefs. I mean, it's a pro-life movement. I mean, the, the the Republican Party in general is a pro-life movement, but you're making exceptions for women to end life. I mean, it's, it's very complicated. I mean, you really, I mean, it's conflicting. You're saying one thing. You're saying you're pro-life, but you're allowing for women to end life under certain circumstances. I mean, that, that's a weird dilemma, a weird dynamic. Some of the, I mean, some of the real conservative Republicans just say, you know, you're, you're better off saying you're opposed under, you, you oppose abortions. So you oppose abortions under any circumstance. Now, now, Politically, that's very risky, but it's consistent. I mean, it's very consistent. 
I just don't know how you win being that consistent about an issue that the American people have made their mind up. I mean, the American people don't want women having abortions, but the American people believe that women should be allowed to have an abortion under certain circumstances and situations. That's the pragmatic American. And the Democrats are going to try to make it look like Republicans don't want women to have abortions under any circumstance. And we don't. And we don't. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number takes Mondays to make Fridays. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Dina in Latta. Good morning, Dina. You're on. Hey, I just have um, this whole thing with Trump and this lady um, doesn't even make sense. There seems like a lot of holes in it. This apparently happened over 25 years ago, and he was worth money then. Why did she wait 25 years to sue him instead of suing him when it first happened? Also, she went into the dressing room apparently with him. Why would you go into the dressing room if you didn't already expect something out of it? He was a well-known figure back in 95 or whenever this happened, and there's no footage of him going into the dressing room. There's no cameras. These are like big stores at Berg. Bergdorf or Bergdorf Goodman. These are like tourist attractions. I remember when I went to New York, I went to FEO Schwartz and Macy's. I had to go check them all out. So nobody saw this and she didn't complain. She didn't even say it was rape back then. She said they got into a fight. And then also she, she also accused the guy, a big guy from um, CBS. Why didn't she sue him also? I mean, it just seems like in 2019, it was political to just happen to file in 2019, and now during another election year, now she brings up another case. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It sounds like there's too many loopholes in it all. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying there's too many questions. Thank you. And that's why I think it has very little effect on the on the race. In fact, I think a lot of women, I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to read women's mind. I should know better than that. I think a lot of women would hold a vendetta against a woman who appears to be doing something like this. Um, like she said, it's 25 years ago, but you file a suit in 19, and it's not about rape. It's just about defamation. Um, I mean, I've got no idea what happened. I don't know if we'll ever know exactly what happened. I got no idea. Did they have consensual sex? Once again, I, I don't have any idea. But when Trump became a legitimate threat to powerful people, powerful people play games. And I think this lady's a pawn of the game. Does Trump ever pay the $83 million? I don't have any idea. I mean, Trump misbehaved in court. Imagine that. Didn't do what he was told in court. Imagine that. Spoke out when he was told to not. Imagine that. Um, didn't listen to his lawyer at all times. Imagine that. I don't think anybody's surprised by any of that. But it really is. And, and I think this is a macro of the macro that is the $83 million decision, the verdict that the, uh, the jury handed down, I think it really is um, symptomatic of Americans not trusting their government. I mean, Jefferson never trusted judiciary. Jefferson never felt judiciary should be a co-equal branch of government. It really shouldn't. I mean, it's appointed judges. You got, you got, you know, jury picking. I mean, I've said it before. We live in the freest nation man has ever known. I used to. Um, <laughs> And we live in a nation that accepts as part of its uh, judicial discourse perjury trap. I mean, just kind of stew on that for a second. I mean, we've normalized perjury trap. We litigate a higher percentage of our GDP than the next six nations combined. In other words, two through seven litigate 
a small percentage of their GDP. We litigate more than the next six or seven nations um, combined. We just live in a very litigious society. Lawsuits are normal. Um, you know, it's, settling out of court is the norm. Uh, insurance companies and lawyers and all these businesses, I mean, they're all kind of, I don't want to say in on the fix, but they're in on the, the charade that we call justice. Um, we talk a lot on Fridays with the delegation about judicial reform and, you know, magistrates and judges and whatnot. It's just, it's, it's an odd, odd system that requires a certain degree of morality to ensure justice or equal application of justice under, and I just, we don't get much of that. I mean, we just don't. It's, um, it's an $83 million settlement or verdict in a defamation case that involves a high profile Republican front runner for Washington that says, if I get another chance, I'm really going to reform, you know, Washington this time. Powerful people don't want that. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, you're on. Hey, good morning. Hey, Cameron. I'm going to talk about football real quick. Uh, back in the day, they had the NFL, and then they merged with the AFL uh, at a certain point in time. And there was a day when the, the Super Bowl used to be the NFL versus the AFL, but, you know, they merged, and they became uh, – two divisions you had the afc and the nfc so i'm going to say something nice about san francisco uh there's been 54 nfc championship games they've been to 20 did you know that ken i know if they win the super bowl they tie the steelers and patriots as teams that have won the most super bowls in the super bowl era well i I was just thinking you go to 20 out of 54 i call them final four that's pretty crazy that's pretty crazy yeah, and, and what's amazing, people don't remember back, the first NFC championship game was in 1970, and they were San Francisco was in that, and they were in the one in 1971. And I'm going to always uh, praise my Gamecocks. Uh, Steve Spurrier was the backup quarterback and the punter back in those days uh, with the, the, the 49ers. So that's kind of interesting. But y'all talk about um, this Trump. These five Trump trials, I call it. Well, now you see him. I said the NFL and the AFL merge. Now you see the merging of the litigation industry and the political industry. And I think to myself, I'm trying to explain this to people, and they don't understand what I'm saying. But litigation industry, what does that mean? Well, this thing was what, defamation? Well, have you ever heard of this term called jury shopping? Uh, I guess some people call it forum shopping, whatever. Uh you know, don't scorn women. I mean, that's what he did more than anything. We don't know what he did physically to her, but don't go if he didn't scorn her. So this defamation is $83 million in a New York City uh, forum or where, where they're at. Where, where are these trials at? Washington, D.C.? You think in politics and litigation you're going to get a fair trial in Washington, D.C.? Well, though, in Fulton County. The beauty of the Fulton County is kind of exposing the true innards of the litigation industry. Uh, and then I think the other one is in Florida. But there is a positive to all this is that there is an expose, if you want to call it, and it's a litigation industry. Does China have a litigation industry? These other countries you talked about, you know, and then and, and you'll have some Jeff or somebody will call in, will it? We wouldn't be what we are if it weren't for the litigation industry. Uh, 
Think about what I just said. Have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. That's kind of an interesting example. So Trump destroys the media. I mean, we know that. I mean, you look at the public trust of the media. I mean, the media matters when people trust what they say and report. They don't matter much when people don't believe what they say or report. And you've seen the numbers pre-Trump and post-Trump. I mean, Trump exposed the media. They really exposed themselves. I mean, they couldn't help themselves. Pile on Trump, go after Trump, attack Trump, lie about Trump, suppress stories positive about Trump, censor opinions, anything Trump says we're against, anything Trump says will we'll create a narrative that opposes that. And, I mean, Trump's numbers are what they are. I mean, he's been fairly flatlined, right, Rev? I mean, Trump's at a half the country love him, half hate him. I mean, that's kind Pretty of when he, he, that's about when he got here and when he leaves here. Uh, newsflash, half the country loves Trump, half the country hates Trump. Well, let's say this, 30% of the, not uh, 40%, 40% of the country like Trump, 40% of the country don't like Trump, 20% are kind of wait and say, I liked him yesterday, I don't care much for him today. You know, I wish he wouldn't do this, but he does do that. Um, they're a little bit confused about um, Trump. But there's no doubt that Trump's numbers have, have not plummeted like the media has. So he destroyed the media. I mean, the day he said fake news and CNN said, we're not fake news. We'll show you we're not fake news. Instead, they should have said, hey, we're going to cover this president to the best of our abilities like we always have. Maybe we've got a liberal bias about us, but we're not going to make things up. We're not going to suppress stories. They couldn't help themselves. I mean, they found him so unsuitable. And it was not necessarily him, guys. It was the white, uneducated voter. I mean, that, that's why they were so appalled. You folks didn't do what you were told. You majority white working class, non-educated hayseeds didn't vote for Jeb Bush, didn't vote for Marco Rubio, didn't vote for Chris Christie. This is kind of your representation of where you want politics to be, and we'll teach you a lesson. So Trump comes on the scene at 50-50. He'll leave the scene at about 50-50. Look at the media's numbers. Could the litigation industry be next I mean, the five trials that we're talking about with Trump, we just heard a female and a male say it's a bunch of nonsense. I mean, it's craziness. I think David's got an interesting kind of a, uh, you know, a, a collaboration. The litigation industry meets the political industry. Well, once the, once the media met the political industry and became complicit in advancing a narrative that was just completely untrue, we saw what happened. The media lost the faith of the American people. I mean, it was already declining, but not at the pace that it has since Trump showed up and became a viable political figure. How much less do we trust the legal system today than we did when Trump got there? I mean, that could be a double whammy. I mean, whether he's elected or not, Trump could have destroyed the faith people have in media in the first two years or four years, and in the next two or four years, he could destroy the faith that people have in, in their justice system. I mean, we know now. What, what, what has been done in the State Department, Justice Department, FBI, CIA, the application of justice, it has been politicized. I mean, there's no denying that. And it's been very one-sided. It's been attacking Trump and his followers, his army, his, his voters, the ones that make him politically relevant. They're treated one way in the media. The others are treated another way in the media. But all of a sudden, in the application of law, I don't know if you saw this or not, January 6th, there's a... Uh, so someone who is, I mean, they show him in the most recent tapes and videos we've seen. There's a guy with a red shirt. It's kind of a big story. Uh, we'll talk about this tomorrow. There's a guy walking through the Capitol in a red shirt with his phone, taking pictures, very peaceful. 
I mean, I think he even holds the door for one of the guards. But, but uh, you know, he's going to be charged with all these heinous crimes. I mean, he's going to be kind of the poster child of just a madman in the state house. And Pelosi felt threatened and had to run and flee. And he beat up cops saying, you know, there's no telling what else he did. Well, now we see him for about 85% of the time he's in the building. I mean, his hair's not tasseled. His, his shirt's not untucked. I mean, he looks to be a very normal, mild-mannered man. Nobody at J6 let that video be made public. And now all of a sudden, I mean, that's litigating, right? I mean, they're charging this guy with a crime. And they're charging him with a crime without letting the public see or letting his lawyers. I mean, even his lawyers right. were not. The defense. Yeah, the defense was not allowed <laughs> and I, and I to see some of the video. He's walking along with his phone, videotaping as he's walking down a hall in a line of people. And they seem to be a pretty orderly line. And, in fact, at one point, you see he kind of looks over at one of the guards and gives him a nod and a thumbs up or something like that. And they're like, hey, man, y'all walk through. Whatever you got to do, just don't tear things up. And he's like, gotcha. We're not here to tear things up, man. I've just never been here like this. I mean, he's breaking the law. I mean, theoretically, he's breaking the law. He's probably trespassing. I mean, I don't see any sign that he even vandalized anything. But but I guess technically he's trespassing. So charge him with trespassing. You know, charge him a hundred bucks or seven, whatever the whatever the the fine is in DC for for trespassing. But no, the the politicization of the media leads to the politicization of our judiciary. And what what once was the greatest example of justice, remember the blindfolded lady of justice, nobody buys that anymore. I mean, nobody believes that anymore. We all know there's a double standard. We all know there's a two-tier justice system. We all know that $83 million in a defamation case of an accusation made 25 years ago is absurd. It's asinine. But the litigation system in America has become very punitive and, and, and lucrative. And I'm just wondering, while David's talking, if this is the second chapter of the Trump de- demolishing something that we've essentially looked at a certain way since our country's in, in, uh, inception. I mean, certainly in my lifetime, I mean, I've never revered the media. I mean, I, I had a certain degree of respect for Walter Cronkite and, and some of these others who asked hard questions and held politicians accountable and you know, public officials in particular. Um, I mean, Thick Pen's always saying their personal life was always off limits. I'm cool with that. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I'm very comfortable with personal lives being off limit. I mean, if, if, if a guy's a senator from wherever and he's got three girlfriends, that's his business. I mean, the B, I've just always said, you know, that that's his personal life as long as it doesn't affect or impair his ability to, you know, to, um, to do his job as a member of Congress, then – Whatever Thickpin says that in in the in the best of days, the media respects the fact that politicians live in houses with long driveways, because he always felt that you know the private life and the family life of a a politician that's their business. But at some point in time, the media decided to make it part of the complete and total and total narrative, and um and it's it's, it's kind of normalized now. Use JFK as an example. Yeah, I mean JFK. Well, I mean you know th- there's a lot of reporting about his philandering. And his womanizing and but not really back then. And, and, and kind of abusive treatment to to women. Now that's a different animal. But um but no, I think, you know, a um the personal life of a powerful politician should remain just that. The personal life. But the media chose to include that or incorporate that as part of um political reporting. And now the litigation industry has been so politicized that nobody believes 
justice prevails. They just don't. Certain people get away with certain things, whether they did it or not. Certain people get punished of certain things, whether they did it or not. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Hi, Joe. Yeah, the uh, the other side has always called us Hitler and, you know, com- we want to take over the world and all this stuff and want to starve grandparents to death. They've been doing it forever. They, they did it to Reagan. Even the Bushes couldn't stand Reagan, and he was like Trump. He was in the the entertainment industry for a long time, so people knew him. Just like Trump's been in, everybody loved him to death, so he ran for president and won. But all of this litigation is about draining his resources to run for president. That's that's not going to work. But the the Republicans they they don't learn how to put across a narrative. I've I've heard nobody stand up and say crossing the border other than the points of entry, is illegal. They say, oh, we've got illegal immigration coming across at, at whatever that pass in Texas. That's not a border crossing. I think there's like 13 border crossings. That, And I try to explain it to people. Somebody comes to your house, instead of coming to the front door and knocking and saying, can I come in, they jump over your fence in the backyard and then camp out, and then expect you to let them stay in your house. It's it's the same deal with the border, but I can't get any Republicans to stand up and tell the American people all of these are illegal, and they shouldn't even be allowed in the country to start with. Biden is inviting them in and letting them stay and paying them to come and stay. And as far as the abortion, we talked about this a while back, and I told you, that Republicans need to define what an abortion is. Texas, not Texas, Tennessee just had to rewrite their law and put ectopic pregnancy in it, you know, for allowing women to have an abortion because they didn't write that in, and I told you that was going to be a problem. And every case that the Democrats get have come up to that point woman had an ectopic pregnancy. They wouldn't let her get an abortion. And they they had to show that it was going to kill her if she took it, you know, past six or eight weeks. Same thing in Texas. They got women having to go out. The, the woman's water breaks at 19 or 20 weeks. The baby is not viable. And she's having to go out of state to get an abortion because they've weaponized it. They're, they're want to charge the doctor criminally. If they would just shut down Planned Parenthood and let it be between the woman and her real doctor, we wouldn't have a problem with abortions. But they've taken it all now to the abortion pill. So now over 50% of all abortions are male abortion pills. So Republicans need to smarten up and explain to the American people you know, like they don't understand anything because about 75% of them don't. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments.
843-661-0937. Dave was talking about it. It hadn't dawned on me how successful the 49ers have been. I mean, they've been very, very successful throughout the NFL. I mean, I, I knew that the Montana era in San Francisco was very fruitful if you're a 49er fan. Fruitful in San Francisco, maybe again. Anyway, um, <laughs> 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, if the 49ers win, if I'm not mistaken, you can check on it, and somebody will, I think that'll be their sixth Super Bowl that will tie them with the Steelers and Patriots for the NFL team with the most all-time Super Bowl wins. Now, David's right. The 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 prior, you got a Super Bowl era, and then you had the NFL championship games. It was not, not a Super Bowl. It was called the NFL championship game. I, I know the Giants won one of the Packers won a couple of those. I don't know who owns the all-time between the combination of NFL championship games and Super Bowls. I don't know who the um who the all-time winner for that is. If I'm a 49er fan, I'm a Gamecock, therefore I'm a Debo Samuel fan. He's a big part of their offense. But I look at Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy, and I'm going like, oh, let's see, who do I think is better between those two? Um, yeah, Mahomes, that Mahomes guy <laughs> might be a little better than than Purdy. Um, I also don't know this because I'm looking for these odd stats. Jared Goff for the Lions was the first pick in the NFL draft in 2016, I think 16 or 17. Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant in 2021 or 2022. That means the last player chosen in the NFL draft. I don't know if there's ever been another NFL playoff game that featured as the starting quarterbacks the first overall pick against the last overall pick. Not the first quarterback taken, not the last quarterback taken, but literally the first player taken in the draft and the last player taken in the draft. And before we move back to politics, on the last sports note, I'll say this. I began the show with this. Clemson Nation, Tiger Nation, um, got real upset about a particular call at the end of a game when they played basketball against Duke Saturday night. For the first time in my life, I'm kind of sort of pulling for Clemson because Tigers beat the Gamecocks in basketball earlier this year and this weird net ranking. I mean, it's weird the way they've got this formula. And if Clemson wins, that's a better loss. I know that sounds crazy, but as Clemson wins, the loss the Gamecocks have to the Tigers in, in Clemson becomes a better loss, and the likelihood of them getting making the tournament getting a better, a better seat exists. But if you believe you're going to get a call in one of the Blue Bloods on arena, I mean, I remember as a Gamecock fan going to Rupp several times. And at the end of the game, I mean, this is normally getting in question. I mean, Kentucky's normally had the game well in hand. But in those few times when it's been in question, you better not leave it to the to the officials. You just better not. You better be up 10 or 12. You better play your behind off and get a big lead. And the officials can't make that one call, that iffy call at the end of the game. You got to know going in that when you're playing Duke in Cameron, and there's an iffy call at the end of the game, a call or not, it's going Duke's way. It just is. As as much as I don't believe the NFL is rigged, I read that Taylor Swift, they think, has added about $330 million in branding revenue. 
you, you got to, I mean, if you're a, if you're a Ravens fan, you got to go into that game believing that if there's going to be a questionable call or two, the Chiefs are going to get that call. I mean, the NFL has basically said, we are an entertainment business that features football. We're not a football league that features entertainment. We are an entertainment enterprise that happens to play the game of football. So when Taylor Swift is sitting in a box and her boyfriend is a Kansas City Chiefs player, and they believe or have estimated that she's added about $330 million to the bottom line, the Chiefs are going to get... Yeah, that's good for the <laughs> entertainment that's business. A, that's unbelievably... Money's the answer. Now, what's, what's the, the question? question? Let's go to the phone. Jerry in Florence. Hi, Jerry. Hey, good morning. I just wanted to give a shout-out this morning for there's some cleanup crews picking up trash along East National Cemetery Road, and they have a mountain of trash about halfway down that probably would not fit in a large dump truck. But it is so pretty to see it being cleaned up, and uh, it's, it's just amazing how trashy that road had become. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, I've always wondered – there are two things that have dawned on me late in life. Not late in life, but later in life. I didn't take littering seriously. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't take animal ownership seriously. But but somebody at some point in time in my young adulthood convinced me that if you're going to own an animal, it's your moral obligation to care for that animal. And that doesn't mean just throw a can of food out there somewhere, somehow. I mean, that seems care for that animal. That animal has has genuine needs. It's not a human, but it has genuine needs, and it's your responsibility to care for that for that animal. The other thing is littering. I mean, it's a crime against God to me. It's it's almost like a cosmic sin. We've we've done shows on this subject I mean, before. It, we, we have, and it's just like what what possesses a full grown, um, adequately intelligent human being? What 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 gives them the inclination to believe that's okay? To roll the window down, as we say in the country, to spool the window down and take a bag of trash and throw it out by the road. I mean, that is, it's, it's, it's like, to me, it's, it's just cosmic sin. It's a sin against God and his creation. And if you're doing that, to me, that's just a sign of laziness and just not caring and probably some, I don't know, some complex that you've got within to justify in some way shape or form now i'm not talking about the the beer can with the law behind you that's a whole different animal i mean i'll give you a little bit of runway on that one <laughs> different motivation that's a yeah i mean that that's a different i'm talking about a bag of trash right and there's nobody in hot pursuit of you and and what you may or may not have done illicit but you just got a bag of trash and you kind of look around and say nobody's looking and you just heaved a bag of trash the only, i mean i know that's a weird it's a cosmic sin I mean, it's like a, a sin against nature and God's creation, and we should all demand better of ourselves and and our fellow our fellow man. Let's go to the phone. William and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Uh, yes, I was just wanting to make two comments, if I may. Um, the first is uh, with all these uh, trials against Trump, it tends to make me think it's like uh, the praise out of uh, – Saving Private Ryan, the Democrats are trying to make a sticky bomb and just doing all that just to make it stick. And I would certainly hope that people would actually see that for what it is and know the depth of corruption that's going on in our government now. 
And uh, my second uh, uh, is actually a question. A while back, I'd heard uh, you make statements about the counties not submitting their, uh, I guess, their law, state laws that they had to submit accounting records uh, for the uh, penny tax increases that was uh, luckily voted down in Sumter this past election. But uh, I was wondering if you could maybe uh, recover that because I was wanting to find out more and specifically whether Sumter County is in violation of that uh, law. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's kind of an, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll do some tallying. Um, I think the public need to know that. You know, when you vote on a referendum, a ballot question, I think Sumter voted it down, Florence voted it up. I think Florence has voted it positively twice, overwhelmingly positive. I think county council has done a good job of engaging the public. Hey, it's your decision. Here's, you know, and go have the projects. Well, I mean, but, but they, they don't decide the projects. Right. I mean, they let some of the communities and the, and the counties decide the project. And it's at Rose. Is it water? Is it, um, is it a golf course? Is it, is it some other things? I mean, some of the things I'm for some I'm opposed to, but I think the caller's asking, are we accounting for the money? I mean, is there a paper trail out there somewhere that says, okay, we've collected this much tax and here's where the money has gone. Um, I mean, I think voters and taxpayers have every right um, to know that. The The thing about the penny tax, and I'm talking about this, um, this uh, it's not a local option sales tax. It would be, it's, it's a discretionary penny that taxpayers pay that goes to basically fulfill the requirement of a ballot question almost verbatim. I mean, there's got to be a very unique way the ballot question is written. It's got to be clearly explained to the voters. And um, and I've always felt as a county council member, i got to be for that. I mean, I don't think I should be allowed to raise a penny in sales tax without some political consequence. I mean, if the, if the people believe it's the right thing to do, they'll vote me back in. If they don't, they'll vote me out. I mean, that's, that's what you go to the council chamber, um, Columbia or Washington for. You make decisions in a representative republic that affect a lot of people. But as a council member, I always felt like, okay, we've got this opportunity, and I'm not the one deciding whether we're going to raise, you know, a penny's going to raise $160 million to do all these things that the county perceives as priority. I'm letting the taxpayer decide that. I mean, it, it, to me, that's the best way to decide what the penny should go toward. Um, that there's Here's a list. Here's 12 things that the county's going to do if you vote this penny in. They're not going to do it if you don't vote this penny in. Are these 12 projects important enough to fund with an extra penny every time you make an economic transaction? That's, I mean, that's fair to me. That's very fair. It's fair that Florence voted it in. It's fair that Sumter voted it out. It's fair that Florence may vote it out this coming time, and Sumter may vote it in this coming time. That's kind of the yin and yang of local local politics. Take a break. Back in a few. Somebody texted me a second ago and said, will you explain that category of cosmic sin? I mean, I know I'm a sinner, but I want to make sure I'm not a cosmic sinner. Um, that's a weird way to explain <laughs> it, but it's a sin against nature. And it's, 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 it's almost like who gets hurt? Well, I mean, nature gets hurt. God creation gets hurt. I mean, if I sin against Josh, if I do Josh wrong, then Josh is, I mean, it, there's, a, there's a consequence to that. Um, you know, something happens negatively toward Josh. Rev would be the same thing. Throwing a paper bag of trash out of the window doesn't hurt, per se, Josh or Rev, but it does demonstrate something about humanity. 
and the relationship and interaction we have with God's creation, it's almost like it should be a more severe penalty because Josh can defend himself and Rev can defend himself against my transgression. The, the, um, you know, the, the environment can't, and I'm certainly not a tree hugger and I'm certainly not one of these climate change activists by any stretch of the, I think those people are nuts. I mean, they're nuts, but they're not slobs. The people that throw a bag of trash out of the window beside the road are slobs. I mean, that's, that's slobs. The people who believe the planet's burning up and it's all in our hands to save it are nuts. So nuts, slobs, two different, <laughs> two different things. You have a way with words. Well, I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> no. I mean, the people so that well believe put. they know what the temperature of the planet Earth so will be well put. 100 years from now are nuts. And you're a nut to believe that they know what they're talking about. We're, I mean, I'm not saying don't pay attention. And don't try to be, you know, a, a better steward. Of course, we should all do that. But if you believe that John Kerry honestly believes what to do about saving the planet Earth, you are as big a nut as he is. If you throw a trash bag out of the window of your truck on a road just because nobody's looking, you may not be a nut, but you're an absolute slob. Let's do some trivia, Josh. 843-661-0937 is the number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays is kind of the um the saying of which the trivia was created. Pepsi of Florence has been our kind and generous sponsor and partner since we began this feeble attempt at radio brilliance. And I want to thank them. And I mean that sincerely. Pepsi of Florence is not only a sponsor and partner of Wake Up Carolina. They're sponsor and partner about everything that is done around here uh, as it relates to civic and community-minded. We're talking about Super Bowls. So here's the question. You ready? It's not just teams, it's cities. I mean, there will be an economic windfall for the city that hosts this year's Super Bowl. Two cities in America have hosted in excess of single figures. Two cities in America have hosted double-figure number of Super Bowls in that respective city. I want them both. I mean, I'm in a bad oh. mood this morning. I got up at 335 to drive them from the beach. I'm in a bad mood. One's not good enough. I want to know both cities. And we're talking about littering, and that's ticking you off. Yeah, both cities, a cosmic sin. Both cities that have hosted double figures in Super Bowls. 843-661-0937. First correct answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of Takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirts. Do we have an answer? Hi, you are on the air. What's your guess? Uh, Miami and New Orleans. You're right. Miami 11, New Orleans um, 10, and I think California, Los Angeles is 8, if I'm not mistaken. Who is this? Where are you calling from? Uh, Chris from Latta. All right, Chris from Latta. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. A latta Viking. Um, I don't see anybody from Manapelico Red Raider would know about the latta, <laughs> the latta Vikings. Corn Blue and I have this ongoing debate about the the some of the great uh, the great traditions of small high school athletics in our state. Latta, he would say, is the best, and I would argue that nah, good old HP is. But no, um, Miami has hosted eleven Super Bowls. New Orleans has hosted ten Super Bowls. Los Angeles has hosted eight Super Bowls. This year's will be in Tokyo to make sure Taylor Swift can get there <laughs> on time. Yeah. I mean, I read yesterday she's got this big concert in Tokyo. Yep. Um, 
But but newsflash, Taylor don't travel commercial. She's not worried about layover. That's She's right. not worried about, you know, the um, the escalator at the terminal not working properly. She will, I would imagine, be very well taken care of. And the NFL will make sure she's there. If if it if it, if Taylor Swift and the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers are in a list of priorities to make sure they get there, <laughs> the Chiefs and 49ers would be second and third in that list because the NFL has found that they believe Taylor Swift has generated about three hundred thirty to fifty million dollars in branding funds by attracting more and more female viewers to the um, to the Super Bowl, which is by far the biggest sports spectacle in America. I would say on earth, but the World Cup is bigger than the Super Bowl. But the World Cup's a month. I mean, it's a month versus a night. And you got all these countries that are crazy about soccer in foreign lands and communist nations, the good old U.S. of A. Um, we celebrate football like none other. And I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about football, the way Southerners <laughs> Um, say it. So the 49ers and the Chiefs, um, once again, just just window, gl- glancing at the window, Rev. In one hand, I got Brock Purdy. In the other hand, I got Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that, my, my heart says Debo. You know, I want to see a Gamecock win a championship. Debo's a big part of that of that team. But over here, I got Patrick Mahomes and, and Dan, I mean, uh, not Dan Reed, um, Andy Reed. And those two together have, what, four of the last five Super Bowls? And this year they're bringing Taylor Swift. Yeah, we're tired of the Chiefs anyway. We're going to be real tired of them in two weeks. San Francisco. This is kind of unusual because America normally rallies around the underdog. And I saw this morning where I think San Fran is a two and a half point favorite. This might be the first time I remember America rallying around the favorite. You, you, you might because, be right because they're going to cram. Taylor Swift down your it'll be like Santa Claus delivering gifts if they need to get her a faster jet to get from where uh, Japan Who is or that? NFL you know she might have more money than they do right? uh, uh, the Biden campaign you know somebody like that they, they will get her get and, her and rumor is that game. rumor is she's endorsing Biden at halftime <laughs> with a Pfizer baseball cap on I mean that's just rumor wouldn't surprise. I don't know if that's true or not it's on Twitter so take it for what it's worth <laughs> enjoy your Monday We'll talk tomorrow.